Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You know, it's tough decisions with Blay and Cairo and these guys. It's it's like I told Sammy and I talked to him about it. I said, listen, this doesn't mean you're not you're not uh, blue and you're not going to play for us. Um, it's it's what I go with my gut, and um, we'll see how it goes right now. So that doesn't mean Sammy's not going to start the season in the lineup. So I don't know that. So uh, he understands that, and we'll just see how it goes. That was Craig Berube yesterday alongside Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are live from the E&B Granite Studio out at the Centene Community Ice Center as we continue talking about Blues training camp tonight. Tonight, only right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. You will hear, I'm not going to say play-by-play because I don't know if it's going to be that exactly, but a broadcast live during the Blues scrimmage with Alex Ferrario. You are going to have Joey Vitale, Chris Kerber, who you're going to hear with us coming up at an hour or at 1.30. Also, coming up at 6 o'clock, you've got This Week in Hockey with Ferrario and Joey Vitale, all right here on 101 ESPN. Let's get to what Craig Berube said right there about Jordan Cairo Ferrario, because this is a team that is mostly set. There are very few questions about whether it be who's going to make the roster or where they're going to be in the lineup when they make the roster. It's mostly like a plug and play. We kind of know what the roster is going to look like whenever the season starts. And about, it's about the upside. What is the potential for them, right? Right. I think there is one, though, and it is Jordan Cairo that I'm going to be paying a close eye on. I'm going to have that is where my attention will be yeah. over the next week or two, because right now, it sounds like he's the guy that is getting a true opportunity on that third line above somebody that Blues fans really like in Sammy Blay. When he's been healthy, he's been effective. It sounds to me like they're going to give Jordan Cairo every opportunity to win that job because this is kind of his, as we've said all along, his last best chance to really make an impact here in St. Louis. Yeah, and if you look at the way that this lineup is set up until Vladimir Tarasenko returns, which isn't going to be reevaluated in February, so you're looking at maybe late February, early March before he comes back, there's one spot, in my opinion, that has an asterisk next to it, and that is that right wing on the third line because everyone else is going to be playing. Hoffman, Schwartz, Shen, go down the list. These guys are going to be in the lineup every night. I truly believe Craig Berube loves that fourth line right now. That's Clifford, Sundquist, and Barbashev. That's going to stick together until something changes that. So it's that right wing spot. And for me, there's two guys that 
that are going to get the biggest chances at that, and it's Sammy Blay and Jordan Cairo. You already know what Sammy Blay is. I mean, Craig Berube talked about it in that Zoom conference yesterday, BK. We know that Sammy's an NHL player. We told Sammy, you're, this doesn't mean you're not a blue this season. You're going to be playing in the NHL. But what this does is this puts confidence on Jordan Kyrou's shoulders saying, look, kid, it hasn't worked out yet for you. You've played fourth line minutes. You've played top line minutes. You've been in the AHL. This is your shot. We believe that you're an everyday top nine NHL forward. Go out there and prove us right. Because if you don't prove us right, Sammy Blay is going to take that spot. And it's going to be very difficult for Jordan Kyrou to get back into the lineup unless an injury pops up. So that is the one position I think that people should be focusing in on. Because you want to see Sammy Blay. Everyone wants Sammy Blay in there. But we know what Sammy Blay is. Sammy Blay is a four-checker. Sammy Blay's fast. He can shoot the puck. He is injured a lot. We don't know what Jordan Kyrou is. Is this guy a 30-goal scorer? Is he a 20-goal scorer? Or is, is he a 5-goal scorer? Or, or is he a tie ratty, if people want to remember that prospect that they was so good? They don't want to, Ferrario. They don't <laughs> want to. I don't want to. I don't believe it. But look, Kyrou can't do anything else in the AHLBK. There's nothing else he can prove in the American Hockey League. It's either the NHL or it's another NHL team. And I think the Blues want to know what that is, which is why he's getting this shot. Yeah, and as you kind of mentioned, we said yesterday, whenever we were talking with our guy Jeremy Rutherford, if you missed our conversation with him, 101ESPN.com, the 101 ESPN app, it's all via I Promise. The top six is basically set yeah. at this point, at least until Vladimir Tarasenko returns. You know it's going to be some combination of Schwartz, Shin, Thomas Hoffman, Ryan O'Reilly, Perron. Right. Those are your top six forwards to start the season. You kind of know that third line is going to include Sanford on the left wing. Bozak is probably going to be centering that line. And we know the fourth line right now, or at least we seem to, yeah. is going to be Clifford, Barbashev, and Sunquist in some capacity, depending on who, who's out there at any given time. That leaves one spot. It's that third line winger, the right wing, like you're talking about. And so I think they're making the right decision. Here. I agree. You, There's not a whole lot of uncertainty with Sammy Blay. You know what he is as a player, and you like what he is as a player. And he's going to get opportunities, as Craig Bruby said yesterday, with back-to-backs and the way that series are set up similar to a baseball-style series this year, he's going to have plenty of opportunities to play. It's almost going to be like a platoon in baseball. You're going to see him out there. But the first opportunity needs to go to the guy that you're going to evaluate while Tarasenko is out. Because when Tarasenko returns, Hoffman might drop down to that third line. Yeah. That might be your third line right winger. And so then, okay, we need to know at that point what Kairou is. Because if he forces the issue in here and he ends up being like Tommy Edmond, who two years ago, you had to play him every day. Right. He forced the issue. And that's what I think they are hoping Jordan Kairou will do in training camp and then early in the season. Yesterday, Craig Berube kind of talked about what he wants to see out of Jordan Kairou. Here's that quote from Blues head coach Craig Berube. It's really going to boil down to um, his competitiveness on the walls, his competitiveness to win a puck battle, um, his competitiveness to get back and defend. All those things like that is what's going to keep him in the lineup. But he's a good player. We, we, he's, he was drafted here as a real good player, so <clears throat> he's going into his third year pro. Um, it's time for him to take that step forward on the team and, and show us something. I mean, he, he said everything that you would expect Craig Berube to say, and it's what we've been talking about. You know, I asked JR that yesterday, is this that last shot for Cairo? And he is still young, but 
Faruby's alluding to the fact that this is his shot to take this position. He used the word a lot there, BK. Competitiveness. Competitiveness on the board, behind the net, down low. They want Jordan Cairo to be like a Jaden Schwartz. Look, Cairo, we know what your speed is. You're one of the fastest guys on this team. We, like, you can put it into turbo mode whenever you need to. But how do you play when you're in the offensive zone? Because if you're a liability with the puck or away from the puck, you're not going to be on the ice. We need you to be effective on the forecheck. We need you to be effective on the back check. And that's what they're looking at with Cairo. Cairo never really flourished when he got fourth line roles last year. Like, he didn't flourish playing with a Barbashev and a Sunquist. That's not his mentality. Sammy Blake can play there. Sammy Blake can play anywhere in the lineup. When you're looking at Cairo, if you're Craig Berube, Jim Montgomery, Steve Ott, you're saying, how hard does this guy work away from the puck? Does he work hard like his line mates to get the puck on their sticks? Because if not, somebody else will play there. So that's going to be the biggest focus, I think, on Cairo. So I think that's really interesting because the things that they're looking for are the things that are going to be easy to see, even in something like a scrimmage. Yeah. It's, it's about effort. And I know that sounds kind of silly or like we're simplifying things, but you just heard it there from Craig Berube. He knows that Jordan Kyrou is skilled. There's no question about whether or not he's a goal scorer. He can do those things. When he's on the ice, he has the ability that very few other guys on this team, frankly, have. Yeah. Like he, he's a special playmaker. Can he do the other things, though? It's a basketball player that gets into college, right? He's a five-star recruit, great player. He can't defend anybody. And so you put him on the, you put him on the court, and he's given up 50 while scoring 20. Well, the 20 looks nice. You like seeing that in the stat sheet. But what you don't see is you lost 100 to 75 because you couldn't defend anybody. Right. And that's where Jordan Kyrou's at right now. He's got to be responsible. He's got to be a guy. Coaches love players that they know they're going to be in the right spots at the right times. Yeah. Guys like Ryan O'Reilly and Schwartz and Shin, Perron, you know they're going to be in the right place at the right times. They're not always going to make every play. But you know they're going to be accountable. And that's what they want to see out of Jordan Cairo earlier in this season. And it's easy to see as opposed to needing to see him score seven goals. What can he do around the net? Right. That's stuff you don't have opportunities to do in every game. So they're going to find out more tonight during that scrimmage that you'll hear right here on 101 ESPN. And then early next week, once we get into the regular season, I bet you within five games, they've got a pretty good understanding of what they have right now in Jordan Kyrou. And you're going to learn a lot about Kyrou this season, him playing against this West Division that we've talked a lot about. They're heavy. Like, if you can't go out there and, and, and stay strong on the puck when guys like Orion Getzlav or Orion Reeves are coming at you, well, then Sammy Blay's going to get that shot because Sammy Blake has, has shown that he can handle that. So it's a big season for Jordan Kyrou. But they're doing the smartest thing with him. Because if I'm going to put a young guy who needs to take that next step, I'm going to put him with Tyler Bozak. Because this is an established veteran. He reminds you a lot of what an Alexander Steen was, right? He's a veteran who's got voices in the locker room. He will talk to you on the ice. Thomas played with him for the last two years. And look at where Robert, Robert Thomas has gone to. So they're putting him in a position to where there's responsible forwards with him so that Jordan Cairo can learn that aspect of the game. You mentioned those heavy teams in this Honda West division. Honda West, baby. The Blues early this year, the first eight games of the season, Colorado, San Jose, L.A., Vegas. Ugh. Those are the first eight games of the Blues season. You're going to know about Jordan Cairo by the second week or so of the season. We're going to know exactly where he's at very quickly in this year, and I think that's why we're seeing this way of handling it. Yeah. Smart by Craig Berube. Find out early. That way, whenever you have more information, you're able to determine, okay, 
Tarasenko's back. Where's he going? What's this mean for Hoffman? What's this mean for Blay? Is Kairou even going to be a part of our every night lines at that point? He's got the opportunity to prove himself, but it's got to happen pretty quick this year. Yeah. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up at noon, we will talk with our guy, Danny Mack. Dan McLaughlin will join the show. Coming up at 1 o'clock, we continue previewing the Blues division this year with Tyson Nash and the voice of the Blues. Chris Kerber will join us at 1.30. It's 11.13. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, there was an actual baseball move that took place yesterday. It might have gone under the radar for you. I don't blame you, but I think it could be important for the Cardinals. We'll tell you why. Coming up on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture. The real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan. On 101 ESPN. You might have missed the news yesterday, but there was actual baseball transactions that took place. Ferrario. Cardinals traded for Arenado. Nope. nope. 95% still not here, but the there. Cardinals haven't gotten there yet. The Detroit Tigers, in fact, announced that they have signed former A's outfielder Robbie Grossman. Everybody right, give a, yeah, heck, a right. round of applause a to the Detroit Tigers. Wonderful offseason already. It is a two-year, $10 million deal. Listen, in a normal offseason, I wouldn't care about this signing whatsoever <laughs> because the Tigers are no good. Robbie Grossman is a legitimately average baseball player who hits left-handed and right-handed. He's a switch hitter, um, but has some splits that would basically indicate he's something that the Cardinals could have been looking for. So the reason I bring this up is because this potentially sets the market for the guys the Cardinals would be interested in. We already saw David Dahl signed that $3 million deal with the uh, Texas Rangers, leaving from the Rockies, going down to the Rangers. Now we know Robbie Grossman, who's more certain than Dahl was, he is going to get that two-year $10 million deal. I would imagine the guys that we have talked so much about, guys like Jock Peterson and Rosario and Schwarber, this would essentially set the market for them around 8 to $10 million. We now know kind of what the salary structure is going to be. One, maybe a two-year deal for these guys. That's probably what they're going to be looking for, given what we just saw from Robbie Grossman. So if you're a Cardinals fan, I think the market might have just been set for them. Between five and three million dollars of the player you're looking for, eight to ten million, eight probably. To 10 million. Yeah, because but that's the North players of like the the, the established ones that would change. Yeah, your ball club. R Rosario, Jock Peterson, Schwarber. the guys that are the left-handed hitters mm -hmm. that can play corner outfield or DH for you and can platoon with Harrison Bader on a daily basis. Those are the guys that, given what we just saw from Robbie Grossman, I would imagine they're going to get in that eight to ten million dollar range. Uh, given what the market has been set at. By the way, I won't forget that you said Jack Peterson there, and you know I hate that name. But I, I understand the 8 to $10 million, But if that's the case and that's the market, then that tells me the Cardinals aren't going to be swimming in those waters at all this season. Well, then what do you think they do? $5 because million dollar Ro Robbie Grossman or less. Like that to me is where the waters they're going to swim in. And that's why we've waited so long, right? Because they've wanted to know what this market's going to look like. Yachty, according to the Cardinals, is still the number one priority, and you're going to wait till the shoe drops with JT Real Muto to find that out. But if it's eight to ten million dollars for an Eddie Rosario, to us, that's a simple that's a simple sell. Sure. Like, go out there and do that right now. But to the Cardinals, if they're going to be eight to ten, and a Robbie Grossman's somewhere in the five million dollar range. 
to me, it sure seems like the Cardinals are going to say, let's swim in this water and find somebody who can help our bench and help kind of a platoon role rather than an everyday guy. So the guys that are in that range that you're talking about, you're looking more at the... It, You're not going to like it. Yasiel Puig, maybe you could potentially get in that market. Adam Duvall, Josh Reddick. Like those are, those are, Kike, Kike Hernandez maybe would be in that range. Uh, Kevin Pillar. Those are the guys that are going to be now in that $5 million range, similar to what we just saw from Grossman. Now it's a question of are the Cardinals willing to go higher than that? And I think it might depend on what they do with Yachty and Wayno. Yeah. If those guys both are back, I think you might be right, and we're probably looking, I'm looking, at the wrong pool of players. Right. I'm wanting them to go up into this Rosario-Peterson range, and maybe they will end up shopping closer to this Kevin Pillar range down there. I think they're going to bring back Yachty now. At this point, given where we are, given what we've seen and how little activity there's been in free agency, I think the Cardinals feel like the most likely landing spot for him. Yeah, I don't get that sense about Wayno. I don't no. get the warm and fuzzies when I hear Wayno doing interviews and he's like, listen, it, it's a tough spot right now for baseball. I don't I, I don't know if or when they're going to give me an offer. I, I don't know that they're going to circle back with him. I think that they might be okay with, listen, we've got some young pitchers we feel pretty good about. We're not going to pay that. And if they let him go, I do think that that would mean that they can play in these $10 million waters. I it, would agree. It doesn't mean that they have to go multi-years, but there's going to be somebody that is playing the game of musical chairs, the music stops, and they're left without a chair, and they look around and they say, okay, one year, seven million, who's willing to take me for that? And the Cardinals are going to be right there ready to go. I don't know which guy it's going to be that ultimately is in that spot, but I think the Cardinals are going to be okay with whoever that player is. See, you're not getting the warm and fuzzies with Wayno. I'm not getting that with Yachty right now. Really? I, I, for some reason, it just feels like the longer we go through this of, of radio silence between Yachty and the Cardinals, and I know, like I said, they want to wait till Real Muto's market kind of presents itself, but there are still a lot of team options that are there for Yachty to sign with if he wants to go to a contender like he's talked about. That's where I do feel like then they will dive into these waters. If it's Yachty or Wayno that they don't bring back. If they bring back one, I still think they'll look into it, but they're going to look at hometown discount, which I guess you can't really do a hometown discount, but you're going to look for the cheaper option of those names. But if they bring back Yachty, that's going to be some significant money, it seems like, and that's where I get a little hesitant of, okay, are they really going to touch us? But if they don't bring back either of those, BK, you have to go into those waters. Yeah, and you also have to sign another catcher because you, it's pretty clear, at least to me, they're not going to go with Andrew Kisner as their everyday guy. They're going to yeah. want to spell him with some kind of a veteran. I don't know who that would be on the market, but I bet you there's another guy they're going to have to bring in in that 3 to $5 million range. And that one seems like it would be the cheaper option, right? Like sure. no, Nobody likes to hear it, but they could segue back to Matt Wieters and say, oh, hey, Wheaties, we're going to bring you back and play exactly. 50 games this season while – Kisner's going to get that shot to be the major league player. But but if that happens to where Wayno, I can still see. If Wayno doesn't come back, I see the Cardinals saying, okay, let's explore it at least. I don't know if they'll do it because that's still a high price if you're going to do that on top of uh, Yachty. But if they don't bring back Yachty, that's when I really feel like a guy like Rosario or a guy like Schwarber, one of these bigger name outfielders, is going to get looked at heavily because you need that offensive upside to – 
substitute for the defense that you're going to be lacking now. Now, the other question is, okay, if they don't like the options that are out there in free agency, are there trade options? And I know that people are sick of us talking about the trade options now. I get it, man. Trust me. I get it. I wish that they would have answers and we could look into those individual players more. However, I was reading Derek Gould's questions and answers is his chat the other day, and somebody asked him about David Peralta an outfielder for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's going to be 33 years old next year. And here's what Derek Gould had to say. He said, quote, he's been a player that the Cardinals have talked about acquiring before, and he's a fit. It is certainly worthy of further discussion. I found that interesting because Derek Gould doesn't just throw stuff out there like that. If he is saying that, it means that the Cardinals have definitely, at the very least, had conversations internally about potentially acquiring David Peralta. So here's a little info about him. Over the last four years, he's a 290 hitter. So a really uh, objectively good hitter. Better than all of your outfielders right now. 350 on base. He's hitting an average of 25 doubles, 15 homers per year. Basically, he is, in terms of what his on base average uh, power He's kind of what we're all hoping Dylan Carlson becomes eventually. That That's pretty much the type of player we're talking about. Lefty outfielder, two years, $15 million remaining on his deal. Hits righties really well. He has like an 850 OPS against him over the last three seasons. I like the name David Peralta. I got no issues with them going after him whatsoever. Here's my problem with something like this. If you're going to add David Peralta, just go out there in free agency. Like, this guy's going to cost you two years, basically $17 million. Yeah. Two, two years, uh, and it's around $8 million per season. If that's the type of player that you're looking at, why not get a, a similar capable player Go get that Eddie is Rosario. in free agency, exactly, and costs nothing to acquire other than the money. Right. You don't need to be giving up prospects to be able to go get a guy that you think you can already get on the open market. There's no reason to do that right now. So, for me, if this is the type of guy that they're looking at, it actually speaks to more to the, the players that we were talking about a minute ago, Rosario, Peterson, um, Schwarber. Yeah. Those guys make a lot more sense than somebody, to me, like David Peralta. If, if you're going to do the trade market, the only way you can do the trade market is if you're offsetting more money, right? Like if you're, if you're moving a Carlos Martinez or if you're moving a Matt Carpenter or an Andrew Miller. Like that's what makes more sense if you're going to go into the trade market. But, yeah, you're right. If you go out there and you say, oh, well, you know what? We don't know much about Alhiris Montero. Let's just trade him away and bring in a David Peralta who can help us now. Well, one – you got the problem of wondering if you just did another Randy or Rosarena or yep. another Luke Voigt. But two, you're right. Why are you going to bring in eight to ten million dollars on a player that's not even going to see everyday minutes, right? Like you're not going to be everyday outfielder coming to this team that's a revolving door of outfielders. So I I would much rather go get a guy like Eddie Rosario, who when we talk to the Minnesota Twins beat writer, this is a guy who can hit home run after home run. More home runs probably than what David Peralta is going to oh, do. Oh, definitely. He's got more power. Maybe less b- batting average, but you know what? Right now you don't need – I mean, you need on-base people, but you need pop a lot more right now than anything. So, yeah, I- I'm with you. Like, unless you're moving a Carlos Martinez or an Andrew Miller, I say don't even look at the trade market because you can get the same quality of guys, if not better, on the free agent. There's just too many players available this offseason. Like, if you're yeah. going to make a trade, it's got to be for an elite-level talent. It's got to be for one of those shortstops that we've talked so much about or Nolan Arenado or somebody that we don't know is available right, right now. Like, it's got to be either surprise, Nolan Arenado, or shortstop that is at the top of the market going into next year's free agency. Right. Those, are, those are the types of players that would be worthy giving up assets for. Otherwise, you've got – 
similar capable players on the market right now that you don't need to be dipping into the trade markets, in my opinion. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. What does it mean? When I ask that, I'm talking about what does it mean if player X is able to win a Super Bowl this year? For example, what would it mean for Tom Brady to get another one, this time with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not with the New England Patriots? We're going to dive into a few of those coming up next on 101 ESPN. Blues Hockey is back. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center for Blues Training Camp on 101 ESPN. What just happened, Luke? Did, did Luke, you did just you, have a stroke on the air, man? Luke, did you just pull a Ferrario? Yeah, I, uh, that was a, that was an Alex Ferrario move right there. Look, uh, we have uh, nailed the dismount. I mean, yeah. at least you got the Dobbs inclusion there at the end. <laughs> That's, That's what the matters. That's part. what matters. Look, uh, we have we have a, a, a young trainee in here, one Mr. Andrew Marsh, and okay. uh, and uh, there was a little extra pressure on it to be good, and uh, you know, I, I fumbled it. I fumbled oh, that's, it. That's it. Blame the blame the new guy no, for your I mishaps, said, I Luke. fumbled it on Tony the goal Robo line. in the clutch out did here. You, yeah, did dude, you just Mark Sanchez butt fumble the ball I because but, of your lineman? I butt I butt fumbled. I butt fumbled on the goal line, man. Matt Ryan against the Patriots. Yes. Russell Wilson at the goal line against the Pats. The 20, he just couldn't handle the pressure. The 2020 Falcons are my spirit animal. Luke, just always remember to remember the sponsor and try not to forget people's names and just have 10 seconds of death. Philip Rivers for the last 10 years yeah. of his NFL career. <laughs> <laughs> Down four with two minutes to go, needing a score and just can't come through just every time. It. Just and then blames it on someone else. Yeah, but I didn't blame it on anyone else. I said I... You blamed it on the fact that you're training somebody. <laughs> well, I just said I couldn't handle that pressure, right? I got, I got young, impressionable youth here, and I just... Oh, okay. I fumbled on the goal line, right? I set a real example for the rookies by showing them that I'm the 2020 Falcons. I, I love it. Guess what, Luke? We'll throw you back out there. Just don't do it again. Well, right. he's Luke Clevenger <laughs> back in the studio for us. He's at That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. We are live at the ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center as we continue covering Blues training camp. Tonight, you will hear This Week in Hockey with Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale coming up at 6 o'clock. The Blues scrimmage. Will not be on TV as far as I understand. The one place that you'll be able to hear commentary on that scrimmage, though, is right here on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Alex Ferrario, Joey Vitale, and Chris Kerber all coming up Damn for that. Skippy. All right, so what does it mean? What does it mean if this player were to win a Super Bowl this year? Let's start with this one, Ferrario. Okay. What would it mean for Derrick Henry if the Tennessee Titans are able to win the Super Bowl this year, in your opinion? It would mean that Derrick Henry, it, it, in my eyes, it would it would mean that Derrick Henry not only is solidified being the MVP of that team this season, because I think you also kind of say, well, what about Ryan Tannehill or an A.J. Brown? But it would also mean that he has solidified the rest of his career with Tennessee, because if, if you win the Super Bowl with Derrick Henry, you basically have your running back moving forward, right? Like, I mean, I know you don't like running backs, BK, but you love Derrick Henry. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this guy has just been a beast all season. So, if he wins the Super Bowl, I think Tennessee looks at this and say, we don't have to worry about a running back until this guy retires. For me, I think it would put him on the path to being a Hall of Famer. Just the path? I. It's still so early. He's got to be able to do it for longer. But yeah. if he wins 
If he wins the Super Bowl this year and he's the driving force behind it, and if they win the Super Bowl, let's be honest, he's going to be a driving force behind them doing so. I think it will be seen similarly to what we saw out of Terrell Davis. 2,000 yards this season on the ground, led the NFL in rushing touchdowns each of the last two years, led the NFL in rushing yards each of the last two seasons. Now, potentially, in back-to-back seasons, a team led by him went to the AFC Championship game a year ago and now potentially winning the Super Bowl this year. I, If it doesn't solidify him as a future Hall of Famer, it at, at the very minimum means if he has any sort of progression moving forward if he just sustains this for a few more years he is on the path to being a hall of famer and being remembered as this generation's this decades yeah adrian peterson who actually was able to win the big game like that's that's what's potentially on the line in my opinion for derrick henry i think jamie, that's what it means jamie rivers just texted us and said and i agree with he's no frank gore <laughs> okay. and that's true that's true jamie he is no hall of fame frank gore Ferrario, do you have a player that you would like to know what it means if they win the Super Bowl? Yes. Give me what would it mean if Russell Wilson wins the Super Bowl? Ooh, that's a good one. So he still is not going to have MVPs. He's not going to be voted. Nobody's going to vote him as the MVP this year. Right. And he will still go down as not having an MVP vote in his career. But this would be his second Super Bowl third appearance, if I'm not mistaken. I think... For me, it would put him for this decade, you'd still have him behind Brady and Manning. I think you'd put him above at this point, Aaron Rodgers potentially. If he's able to get that next Super Bowl, I think that allows him to have a trajectory of even being remembered more fondly than Aaron Rodgers because it would also, by virtue of Russell winning it, mean that in the year that Rodgers probably is going to win the MVP, he once again was not able to get it done in the postseason. Rodgers so far, just one Super Bowl appearance. I think if you're able to get to three of your Russell Wilson with two victories, I think that puts him in the the pantheon of this generation of quarterbacks above Aaron Rodgers for me. And I think if he wins the Super Bowl this season being Russell Wilson, this will be the first Super Bowl that he does so, and it's all because of him. Good point. Because yeah. the, the, the first one was defense and Marshawn Lynch. The second one, or at least the appearance, was the defense, the Legion of Boom. So this would be the first time that Russell Wilson would win a Super Bowl because of Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson. That's a really good point, and that's something that, I mean, you you look back. I remember the early wins by Tom Brady, and it wasn't Tom Brady who was the driving force behind those. It was the defense. It was Belichick. It was all of these different things. Now, more recently, though, especially the Falcons game, uh, that was Tom Brady who won that Super Bowl for them. So I, I think that would it would be viewed more that way yeah. than the early one was for Russell Wilson. All right, let's do another one. What would it mean, I mentioned this guy a little bit ago, for Aaron Rodgers to win a Super Bowl this year? It would be his second one in his career. It would put him tied at that point with the likes of John Elway, Roger Staubach, Ben Roethlisberger, Bart Starr. Jim Plunkett, Eli Manning, all of those guys, two Super Bowl victories. What would it mean for Aaron Rodgers to get another one this year? Well, the first thing it would mean is that's Aaron Rodgers just giving a big middle finger to the Green Bay Packers for drafting a quarterback behind them and not drafting him more weapons. But the main one is that he's a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. And I think a lot of people would say that right now for the way that he has performed in his career, the one Super Bowl which might kind of might stutter step his way in but might also hold him out 
But I think if he wins another Super Bowl this season, then I think that solidifies, in my opinion, that Aaron Rodgers is a pro football Hall of Famer because well, yeah. he, he's put the numbers up, but it's the, it's the Super Bowls that have gotten him, right? Like Peyton Manning was a shoe-in, but he got that second Super Bowl to help that shoe-in. I think that second Super Bowl really helps Aaron Rodgers. I do, too. I think it puts him in the same category. Some people will probably disagree with this. I think it puts him into the category of John Elway. I think that's where you would probably be remembering him, right? I think most people at this point believe Tom Brady's the GOAT. He's the clear-cut number one. Joe Montana right after that as well. And then I think you start getting into conversations, right? Third on down on these lists, there's going to be a lot of jumbled um, mess that is there for the quarterback rankings. I think a lot of people would have Dan Marino, John Elway in that in that range. Some people, if you're looking at just the rings, Terry Bradshaw maybe would be considered there. Bart Starr for others. I think if he's able to get another, you're going to start having conversations about Aaron Rodgers also being there. That would yeah. be two MVPs, two Super Bowls. That is rarefied air, and I think he would start being in uh, conversations with those guys. I got one more for you, BK. What would it mean if the Washington football team wins the Super Bowl? Whew. And this is, this is the whole team. This is not just Alex Smith, who I know is going to be the center point of that, but a guy like Chase Young, a head coach that has taken over a, a rough team. What would that mean for that organization in a whole? I can't even fathom what it would mean, honestly, because I'm having a hard time picturing it. But I think it would be remembered similarly to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 02. If you remember that squad, they had Brad Johnson as the quarterback, a dominant defensive line. And I think if they were to win the Super Bowl, and I I don't know how they would do this, but (laughs) if they were, if they were to do it, they would be remembered because their defense would have. I think that's the only way that I can imagine in my mind they find a way to get it done. I think Chase Young would be at the start of what is potentially a Hall of Fame career. Yeah. Like that's that's what you're looking at. He would have to be the MVP of the playoffs like for them Lewis to pull career. something like that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You, you'd have to remember them similarly to that that Buccaneers team or that Ravens team with Trent Dilfer. I didn't even say what would it mean if Mitch Trubisky wins the Super Bowl. And I mean, we, we all don't know need to. Risky Trubisky can do it. Let's get into one more. What would it mean for Tom Brady to win another Super Bowl? giving him seven in his NFL career and doing so this time, not with the Patriots, but instead with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He goes down as the greatest quarterback of all time in in pro football history. And look, everyone always says, and it's the debate of all debates, right? You can't call somebody a goat because they're just different. They're different eras. They're different decades. This would solidify. This is like Michael Jordan territory for me. If Tom Brady wins it with another team, because the only thing that has held Tom Brady up from people, people, 100% people on board with him being the GOAT is the fact that he did it with Bill Belichick. And we've learned what that means now without Bill Belichick. The caveat with it, though, is, I mean, he's got a super team around him, right? Like he went to a team. It's like LeBron going to the Miami Heat. Like you go to a super team and you're, you're expected to win. But to me, that would that would for sure put Tom Brady as the GOAT and have him go down as the greatest of all time when it comes to being a quarterback. See, it's interesting because it wouldn't change a whole lot for me. Really? I don't think so, no. He's already there. The The Super Bowl that put him over the top for me was when he came back 28-3 against the Falcons. At that point, in that moment, right after that game, that was it. It was over all conversations about whether or not he was in the same conversation with... Any of the all-time greats, Joe Montana, 
It was over. But there wasn't a little piece of you going, boy, Bill Belichick just put an incredible game plan together no. in the second half. No, no. It was Tom Brady going out there okay. and grabbing his you-know-what and laying him Deflated on the Deflated ball. It was over. It was uh, The conversation at that point was over. Tom Brady, clearly the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL then. So if he wins it this year, it doesn't change a whole lot for me other than for some people – I do think there's probably what you're talking about where they say he was paired with the greatest coach ever. Yeah. It was both of them doing it. If he's able to do it with Tampa Bay in the first year down there, learning a new system, adjusting to everything on the fly in a pandemic season, yeah, there there should be absolutely zero questions from anybody at that point, right. whether or not Tom Brady is the greatest to ever do it. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers. We'll get to some of your questions, plus some big news that's going to affect both Illinois and Mizzou football. We'll tell you what that is coming up on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with a little bit of news from college football. This affects both of the local teams for college football. Illinois is reportedly hiring Mizzou defensive coordinator Ryan Walters for the same role with the Illini. Walters was at Mizzou since 2016, came over as the defensive coordinator under Barry Odom, held that role once again last year with Mizzou in the first year under Eli Drinkwitz. This is big news for both programs. First of all, everything I understand about Ryan Walters, knowing Mizzou a little bit, the background on him, Really good coach, young guy, has interviewed for head coaching gigs over the last couple of years, has aspirations to do that in the future. It's an objectively good hire by Illinois. He is seen as an up-and-comer in the business and is seen as a very good recruiter as well. For Mizzou, their side of things on this, Ferrario, this means that Eli Drinkwitz is about to make one of the most significant hires of his time at Mizzou. Drinkwitz is an offensive guy. He is the offensive coordinator and the head coach. He allows the defensive coordinator to basically take care of that side of the ball, right? Drinkwitz is technically the head coach, but he's really in charge of the offense, and he allows his defensive coordinator to be the head coach, quote-unquote, of the defense. Yeah. Similar to what Barry Odom did with the offensive coordinator uh, hires. He ended up hiring Derek Dooley. Yeah. It was a disaster. It didn't work out, and it ultimately got Barry Odom fired. I'm not saying Eli Drinkwitz is going to get fired based on who he hires as the next defense coordinator at Mizzou, but this hire will potentially determine what the ceiling is to what Eli Drinkwitz is able to do over the next three years or so at Mizzou. This is a really big hire for Mizzou, and it was a good hire, in my opinion, for Illinois. This was the first thing that I thought of was the Barry Odom syndrome, right? Because that's exactly what I remember doing the shows with Mike Kelly, the voice of the Tigers at the time that Derek Dooley was hired. And Mike interviewed Derek to talk about, you know, how do you transition from being an NFL guy into college? And he's done college before, but how do you work with this Mizzou team? And realistically, I mean, Drew Locke made his way to the NFL with Derek Dooley at his coordinator mm -hmm. at college, but it didn't work out for the university. So is this the Barry Odom syndrome? And I agree. You're not going to fire Eli Drinkwitz if this doesn't work out. 
But, I mean, what kind of relationships does he have with defensive coordinators, BK? I mean, are there names that stick out to you for this position? I don't position? know. No, it's way too early to know for sure. Um, it'll be interesting to see which direction they go. I, I don't know the answer to that, honestly. How I don't was know the defense if they're going to go. Uh, Appalachian State when he was there? It, it was pretty good. He had a, a guy that has a ton of experience as a defensive coordinator. I don't know that that's going to be the route that he goes. It, yeah. it, I don't know what the candidates will be right now. It's it's too quick to know for sure. I haven't talked with anybody. However, it, it is a really significant hire for Drinkwitz moving forward from the 314. Guys, how is that an upgrade for Ryan Walters? It might not be. It's a lateral move. The question is, did they know going into this that it was an arranged marriage and Ryan Walters wanted to have a new opportunity elsewhere? My guess is that's what's going on here. He, he knew... I'm not the future here at Mizzou. Once anything goes poorly, there I'm going to be the scapegoat yeah. here. He's going to go get a better opportunity elsewhere where he has a little bit more assurances of what his future is going to be. And I get that completely. Yeah. All right. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers. Ferraria, let's do this real quick. Don't look up any of these answers. I, okay. I looked up a few stats from the NFL season. I wanted to see if you could guess who some of the statistical leaders were in the NFL this year. Okay. Some of these really surprised me. All right. Aaron Rodgers led the league this year in passing touchdowns. Do you know who came in second this season in the NFL in passing touchdowns this year? Aaron Rodgers was number Aaron one. Rodgers who won. was second in the NFL? I, I want to say it's either Russell Wilson or Josh Allen. I'm going to go with Josh Allen for these last couple of weeks and what he did. So Josh Allen was fifth in the league, wow. 37 passing touchdowns on the season. Russell Wilson tied for second okay. with... Tom Brady. Tom Brady finished the year with 40 passing touchdowns. How? Tied for second in the NFL. How? He had more passing touchdowns than Patrick Mahomes this year. Well, that doesn't Crazy. surprise me. Mahomes took okay. a step back, in my opinion, this year. Okay. He went, he went from Hall of Fame status to superstar status. That's like, enough from you. All right. Now. Next one up. <laughs> Derrick Henry led the NFL in rushing yards with 2,027 rushing yards on the year. Yeah. Dalvin Cook was second with 1,500 rushing yards. Do you know who was third in the NFL in rushing yards this year? This I think I know. James Robinson from Jacksonville? It was not. James nope. Robinson finished tied for fifth with David Montgomery. So if it's Henry Cook. And Robinson was tied Robinson for fifth. Robinson was fifth. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Jonathan Taylor. Who Jonathan Taylor. Midway through the season That's was basically of. out of his job with the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor, a forgotten man, finished the year with 1,100 rushing yards and 11 touchdowns as a rookie for the Indianapolis Colts. And I don't think anybody outside of fantasy football is having real conversations right now about Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor An objectively really good year. He screwed me out of fantasy football this year because I had Naeem Hines. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was really nice for about two weeks. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jonathan Taylor. No, it was good for the first week. Next one up. Stephon Diggs led the NFL 1,500 receiving yards this year. Do you know who finished the year second in receiving yards in the NFL? Second in the NFL second in, in the receiving NFL. yards. This, 1,500 yards was Stephon Diggs number one. Is this Travis one. Kelsey? It is Travis yeah, Kelsey. I thought so. This is why this guy should be an MVP. Travis Kelsey, second in the NFL with 1,400 receiving yards. DeAndre Hopkins was third. Pretty crazy. Two guys that switched teams in the offseason. Stephon yep. Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins finished first and third in the league in receiving yep. yards this year. Two awesome changes, I think, for those wide receivers. Now, it didn't work out for Hopkins in Arizona, but it wasn't working out in Houston either. But what a change for Stephon Diggs. Where did Metcalf fall in this? DK Metcalf ended the year seventh. Seventh in the league behind Calvin Ridley, who was sixth. And I think that's because Russell Wilson just 
just fell apart at the end of the season. Like, he yeah. wasn't the same Russell. If Russell Wilson would have stayed on the same track record that he did the first eight to ten weeks, Metcalf would have been top three, in my opinion. Last one for you. I okay. don't think there's any chance you get this one. Probably. TJ Watt led the NFL in sacks this year. Aaron Donald was tied for second with 13 and a half sacks. Do you know who he was tied with for the tied for the second most sacks in the NFL this year? Again, TJ Watt led TJ the Watt, league in sacks. Aaron he had Donald. 15. Aaron Donald had 13 and a half. Do you know who was third? I, I, for some reason, I want to say Jamal Adams, but I don't think that's right because he missed time. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Chase Young. Chase Young <laughs> was probably like the year. 42nd or something like that. Finished the year with seven and a half sacks, tied for 25th in okay, the league. So I was nowhere near correct. Tied for second, second most sacks in the NFL. Trey Hendrickson, defensive end for the New Orleans Saints, who I think the vast majority of football casual fans do not know who Trey Hendrickson is. Yeah, I don't even know who the hell that is. Right after him, a couple more guys that I don't think the vast majority of football fans know. Hassan Reddick, nope. a former linebacker who converted into an edge rusher this year, was tied for fourth with Zadarius Smith. I know that. Of the Green Bay The former that went to Green Bay. Now let me throw some trivia at you because Please. I want to feel smart. Do you know who led the NFL in interceptions? Uh, yeah, Xavier Howard. Son of a with nutcracker, With the Miami BK. Dolphins. I'm trying the Miami to sound Dolphins. smart here. It was – I. It was a weird year in every possible way, which we probably should have known was coming. It's true. But when you look at it through the prism of some of those statistics, it's pretty wild. I yeah. still can't believe Tom Brady was second in the league in passing touchdowns. I can't either, especially for the last three weeks of the season for Josh Allen. Like, I thought that would have catapulted him to the to the front because yeah. he was throwing, like, four touchdowns a game because they, they didn't have anything else. And we talked so much about um, Rodgers versus Mahomes. Yeah. For Tom Brady to finish with more passing touchdowns this year than Mahomes, pretty I, wild. I told you, Pat Mahomes has taken a step back. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're going to talk to our guy, Danny Mac. Did the big move yesterday. I mean, huge move yesterday. Robbie Monumental. Grossman, two-year, $10 million deal with the Detroit Tigers. Is that potentially going to get things rolling with this outfield market? We'll talk to our guy, Danny Mac, about that. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. Back to more Blues Talk. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center for Blues Training Camp on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It is time for my favorite time of the week. We are joined by Cardinals broadcaster and the host of Scoops with Danny Mack weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock. He is Danny Mack joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Dan, always appreciate the time, my friend. How are you doing today? What is going on, guys? How are we doing? Oh, uh, we are fantastic. So, Dan, we talked about this a little bit earlier today. There was I got actual... a question for you, BK. Please, got go a ahead. question. Is it truly your favorite time of the week? Dan, would I would I ever lie to you? I would yes. never, ever, ever lie Dan, to you. Why do you always think we lie to you? <laughs> well, you did say Hall and Oates yesterday. Well, that my first question today was going to be: Does not watch? Does not watching Nolan Gorman remind you of watching Albert Pujols? Well, no, I think it's really a cross between Kenny Boyer and Scott Rowland. Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. That's why I wanted to get your opinion on it, Dan. Okay, I, I just – i that's the first thing I thought of. But anyway, you know. Uh, back to the sorry. question at hand. <laughs> um, there was actual real tangible baseball news yesterday. The 
Detroit Tigers announced they're signing former A's outfielder Robbie Grossman to a two-year deal worth about $10 million, Dan. Is this possibly, maybe, potentially going to be the thing that actually kickstarts this market, do you think? I actually thought maybe last week with what the Padres did, that may have started it a little bit. And usually it's kind of in baseball, uh, the the dead period, if you will, kind of a, a business person's agreement that when you're in the holidays, not always, not always, so get me. Uh, let me be straight about this, not always, is it during the holidays, especially in Christmas time, do you say, hey, let's just kind of keep the holidays, uh, especially Christmas time, kind of a dead period, and then after the holidays, and, and, and not before, but just during the Christmas time, we're not going to do a lot of agreements or at least trades, and then after that, it really kicks up again. And usually we have it before that, too. When you have the winter meetings, you got all kinds of, of movement, and then it slows down. And then during Christmas time, maybe that week, and certainly the, the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, you're not seeing a lot. Sometimes you do. And then afterwards, you, you got New Year's, and then after New Year's, it, it kicks up again. I would anticipate, guys, that uh, you know after hearing some pretty good news, you know, for instance, MLB came out with a statement saying, you know, that they hope to hold, uh, have spring training kick off with a, a normal start date. The players are anticipating a normal start date that, you know what, you got to start fielding your teams and getting ready to, to field the whatever holes that you have. you you got to start filling them. So, uh, to your point, BK, that maybe that gets it going a little bit. But I really felt with what San Diego did, it, it maybe kind of not wake, you know wakes it up, but just says, hey, we got to get it going, and, and if we're going to have baseball in, in mid-February, you know what, we we got to start feeling uh, and filling some of those calls and, and fielding those calls and filling some of the holes that maybe we have. Danny, I was listening to your chat with uh, with Brian Walton, which was great as always on Wednesdays on Scoops with Danny Mack, but uh, he was talking about how this training camp seems to be a little different to where they might be inviting the entire AAA roster to training camp, which is usually just the guys, a couple of top-end prospects and the non-roster invitees. How much is that going to change free agency uh, for the Cardinals because they're going to have more guys that are close to the major league level that are going to be in training camp. Does that kind of change their opinion of what they want to do? I just thought it was really interesting what he had to say, how it trickles down into the lower levels of camp. I, I don't know if it's going to affect what they do with free agency, um, but how it affects the start times for double A and, and uh, for single A and rookie ball and those kind of things, because if if you cannot congregate at those lower levels, it's going to be really tough to have minor league baseball. I, that's what I took out of it, um, Alex. It, it, you know, it, those those lower levels of the minor leagues, like it's great to say, okay, we're we're going to have uh, the opening of, of spring training for double A on on date X, and and single A is going to be here, and and A ball is going to be here. That's great, but how do you play games? You know, those guys aren't traveling first class in, and or privately, I should say, or even first class. Um, you know, a lot of it is bus rides. Some of it is plane. But if there's not a full vaccine and you're opening them up to the general public, I'm not sure how they travel is one thing. I mean, there's a ton of logistics I could go in. But how do you get people to the ballpark when they are dependent, truly dependent on having people come to the ballpark? They don't have TV contracts 
they uh, at least most of them don't. They they are they are truly dependent on ticket sales and people coming to the ballpark, and it's a lot of mom and pop shops that kind of thing that are running those teams. And how how do they play games? I'm I'm very concerned about that. I know you and I briefly touched upon that with the hockey front. Um, that's going to be really of concern for these teams. There's a lot of things that they have to go through just to get through a minor league season. So having some of the, to to your point, the AAA part of this, I think the idea would be your Nolan Gormans, your Matthew Liberators, um, your Zach Thompsons, making sure that they get some work in. Now how they start that camp will be really interesting to me. Do you stagger your pitchers and catchers maybe? And I don't know. This is me off the top of my head. It, you know, some guys show up at six in the morning, then eight, then ten, then twelve. Maybe you could start camp like that just to get guys some work, because it's not necessarily your everyday players that are going to need to get in there right away and then start playing some games without fans. Maybe that's something you think about. But I do think if they start camp on time, that that's one way to do it. Dan, I heard you talking earlier today with Carriker and Smallman. I think it was during the crossover, and they asked you about Buster Olney's list of his top ten starting pitchers and relievers in baseball. I There were no Cardinals on this list right now projecting towards 2021. He didn't have Jack Flaherty among his top ten starters. I think we all agree it wouldn't be a shock to anybody if he's on a list like that at the end of this upcoming year. As you look to the Cardinals relievers, Dan, which of those guys do you think would be most likely to be viewed at the end of the season as a top 10 reliever in baseball? Who do you think fits that bill? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt it'll be Jordan Hicks if he's healthy. Um, if he comes back healthy, there is no doubt in my mind, if he's healthy by the end of the year, it's Jordan Hicks. I mean, there's just not a lot of guys, you know, getting off that bus before a game that are throwing 100-mile-an-hour sinkers and come out and dominate. And I I say by the end of the year, because I think they'll ease him into a role of being a closer if that's indeed the the route they want to go. And, you know, I I think they'll, they'll treat him very, very cautiously because he's such an elite talent that even when you're coming off Tommy John surgery, and it doesn't matter if you're Jordan Hicks or even a middle reliever or a starter, whatever the case may be, you're going to handle that guy very, very cautiously. And I've seen how the Cardinals have done this with multiple guys, even dating back to to Matt Morris, um, who started out in the bullpen, actually, and then moved back to the rotation. They're just very cautious with those guys. But by the end of the year, if he's showing that he's healthy and the games mean a lot to the club and he's able to pitch back-to-back or take on that role, yeah, I, I would think that he would be one of the more dominant pitchers in the game of baseball if things go to plan. Speaking of the bullpen, Dan, I heard you talking about it on your show as well, Alex Reyes. BK and I talked about it yesterday where I personally feel like Alex Reyes deserves that shot in the rotation, and I think he could be a mainstay in that rotation. Where do you fall on that view? I like him in the rotation. I'm going to let him battle it out with a host of other guys, and there's a number of guys. There's like 10 different guys, (laughs) at least, at least that, that I would say come into camp, be stretched out, and, I mean, I could go from Ryan Helsley to Henesis Cabrera to Carlos Martinez to Austin Gomber, all these different guys I could throw out there. And there's others, too, that I would say um, be stretched out. We're, we're going to give you a couple of innings in the beginning of camp in these games in a normal season, normal spring training. Um, and Alex Reyes would be in the middle of that conversation. What he's going to have to show is consistency within the strike zone, which has been his issues um, in these camps the last couple of years, can he be consistent inside the strike zone? And can he be consistent inning after inning after inning? Uh, 
So last year, for a, a real good example, would be he'd have a lights-out inning. Next inning, he'd go out, and literally, he'd strike out the side. And then the next inning, he might get the first guy, then walk a guy, two-run bomb, strike out the next two. You can't have that. You've got to have more consistency. And I think if he comes into camp in shape, which there's no uh, reason to think that he wouldn't be in shape and throwing well and healthy and all those things, um, then he would have my, my inside track to, to be in the rotation. He, his stuff is too good um, not to give him that shot. And, and he's one of the more, in my times of doing the games, which is over two decades, he's one of the most exciting prospects I've ever seen. It's been a long, hard road. It's been well-documented, and I would give him a, a great chance to make this, this team as a starter. He's going to make the team, but I would love to see him as a starter. Yeah. You mentioned that long, hard road for him, Dan. I mean, 87 innings is what he's thrown since Gosh. the 2017 season. So 2017 through 2020 total, minors, big leagues, in terms of organized games that have been put out there over the summers from 2017 to 2020, a total of 87 innings, basically 21 innings per year. That, that's my one concern with him. Sure. I, I would love to see him in the rotation. I think that's where he needs to be eventually. I, I think my question would just be, I mean, over the last few years, his, his career high is 40 innings in the last four seasons. Can he get to 150, 120 this year? I, I don't know. That, that would be my one concern. Well, here's the thing I would counter that with is that I do think, and I could be wrong about this, but with the shortened season last year, I'd be very curious how all managers will approach many starters this year coming back and how many innings they will throw, whether it's Alex Reyes or Jack Flaherty or uh, Austin Gomber or whomever that may be. Adam Wainwright. Wainwright might be a different animal if he's back with the Cardinals or wherever he goes. But um, just because it was a shortened season um, and a lot of guys just didn't get a lot of innings, It'll be really fascinating to see how the sport handles their starters and, and, and how careful they want to be, especially with young pitchers or those that have had a, a history with um, injuries with the innings because they just didn't throw a lot last year. And I, I, I wonder if more managers will go with the Tampa Bay type look at how they handle games with their starters, especially early on, um, and trying to just see where they're at, see how they feel, see how they bounce back, because last year was such a weird season, and, and they just handle pitching so much differently now than even just five, ten years ago. Dan, we appreciate the time, my man. We look forward to talking with you again soon. All the best to you and the fam. We'll talk with you tomorrow. All right, guys, I'll have you tuned in. Thanks. Absolutely. That's Danny Mac joining us here on 101 ESPN. I think it's a fascinating question as to how these teams are going to handle their pitchers, especially the young guys, right? It's not just, I mean, we talk a lot about Alex Reyes, but what about Jordan Hicks? Yeah. Jordan Hicks did not throw at all last season. What is he prepared to throw going into 2021? We, we just don't know the answer to that. We don't know what what is the limit for him. Is there a limit going into the year? Same thing for guys like Libertor or Thompson. If there is a minor league season, as you were talking about there with Dan, what are they able to get to? Are, are they going to be able to be September call-ups, or are they going to reach their limit in terms of their total innings down in the minors this year? I think the the way that teams handle their pitchers going into this upcoming season is one of the more underrated storylines of the year, and it's why it's so important that the Cardinals have so much depth, both in the starting rotation and in that bullpen. They're going to need all of those arms this year. The same thing that the Blues are doing now with Vladimir Tarasenko, of having the depth of a Mike Hoffman and guys on the right wing to allow Tarasenko to kind of return at his own pace and not just jump into the fire. 
They're doing that with Jordan Hicks now. I mean, look, Jordan Hicks pr- could have played last season. He opted out because he, he was diabetic and he didn't want to deal with COVID. So I guarantee you he's going through a normal offseason that he would. But even if you come back to the season with Jordan Hicks and say, look, Jordan, we're going to take this slow. You're not just going to jump in to be the closer. Well, it's not like that's the only weapon they got. I mean, you got a Ryan Helsley, a uh, Giovanni Gallegos, a Cody Whitley. I mean, you got guys who can close until Jordan Hicks gets to that point. So the best case scenario is the depth provides you a healthy Jordan Hicks and a ready Jordan Hicks once you get towards September and October. It's 12:18. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll talk with Tyson Nash coming up at 1 o'clock, former NHL forward, now a Coyotes TV analyst. We're going to continue previewing the Honda West division with Tyson Tyson Nash rather coming up at one o'clock. Coming up next, let's play a game of Are We Sure? Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's start with this: Are we sure Trevor Lawrence was actually deserving of finishing second in the Heisman voting? I'm certainly not. We'll get into that more coming up on one hundred one ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario, brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on one hundred one ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for Are We Sure? Let's start out with this one for Ario. Are we sure Trevor Lawrence was actually deserving of second place in the Heisman voting last night? I was confused by this. So they got it right, in my opinion. Devontae Smith was yeah. the best player in college football this year. Did I hear correct? He's Alabama. only dropped three balls this season. He's amazing. Unbelievable. He, he's, he's one of the most dominant college football players that looks like he should be, like, hanging out with you and me in a Kim 3 class. Right. Like, he, he, he's an unbelievable football player, and he weighs 175 pounds. Isn't he the one it's that amazing. you texted Jamie and I, and you said, he makes me believe I can be a pro athlete? Absolutely. That's Have you true, seen though. his legs? Yeah, his they legs look are like mine. mine. They're chicken legs, that's <laughs> no doubt, but they're fast chicken legs. Uh, he, he's... He's an unbelievable player, yeah. and he's going to be a great NFL player. Um, he was deserving of winning the Heisman. What I was more surprised about last night was that Trevor Lawrence finished second in the voting, ahead of Mac Jones, ahead of Kyle Trask, and that I can't get behind. This is not to suggest that Trevor Lawrence isn't a good player. He's not a good prospect. He is both of those things. Great player and one of the best NFL prospects that we've seen in NFL history, possibly. He did not have a better the year this year than either Kyle Trask or Mac Jones. And honestly, I can listen to an argument of Zach Wilson, BYU's quarterback, over Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence's numbers were not special this year. Yeah. 24 touchdowns, five picks in 10 games. That is not Heisman Trophy worthy. So I was stunned. That was the one thing that really surprised me about the ceremony tonight. Are we sure that he deserved second place in the voting? For me, absolutely not. Yeah, no, I'm not sure about this either. The only thing I can think of is, one, it's name recognition, right? He's expected to be the number one overall pick this year. Everyone's talking about it. The name recognition of, oh, well, you got to vote Trevor Lawrence. And he wasn't worthy of being the Heisman winner, but it felt like you, you were forced to put him at number two. The other thing, and, and again, this is just me like diving as deep as I can into this. I mean, the one loss that Clemson had was the game that Trevor Lawrence wasn't there for. So maybe they viewed that as, look, he was the MVP of that team. Sure. He was the reason that they only took one loss. I, to, to be honest, though, I would have had Kyle Trask ahead of, of Trevor Lawrence. And I would have had him, uh, had him ahead of Mac Jones, too. Mostly because Mac Jones had those weapons. Kyle Trask had weapons, but he made a lot out of nothing and took Florida that I didn't expect Florida Gators to be that good. 
So sure. I would have had Trask at number two. I would have had Trask two, Mac Jones three for me, and then I think I probably would have had Zach Wilson on my on my list over Trevor Lawrence. Would you have had Harris over Lawrence? H- Harris, uh, Najee, Najee, yeah. Potentially, uh, yeah. I think I would have actually like six touchdowns in a game or five yeah. touchdowns in a game. Trevor Lawrence had twenty four touchdowns this year. Zach Wilson had thirty three. Yeah. Mac Jones had thirty six. Kyle Trask had forty three. Yeah. What is the argument of Lawrence over Trask in particular? I don't see it. I thought it was a bad decision, but yep. in the end, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that they got it right. Devontae Smith was clearly the worthy Heisman winner this year. All right, are we sure? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Ferrario, are we sure Deshaun Watson is going to be a Houston Texans quarterback three years from now? Because last night, they officially hired their new general manager. It's going to be former Patriots executive Nick Casario. Now, this name may sound familiar to fans because two years ago, the Texans made a run at Casario. He was the choice of Bill O'Brien at the time. Uh They were denied that opportunity by the Patriots. The rules have since changed. The Patriots can no longer deny his opportunity to go elsewhere. So the Texans circled back. They decided to go with him. It is unbelievable to me that Jack Easterby, the guy that used to be the team chaplain for the Patriots, who is now essentially running the Houston Texans, got his guy in the end. And he is now in charge alongside Casario. Those two are going to be hand in hand leading the Texans into the future. Do you believe, are we sure, Deshaun Watson's going to be a Texan five years? You know, I was a little confused by this because I saw Deshaun Watson's tweets yesterday basically saying some things never change. Uh And you're assuming by that, which we all know what happens when you assume things, but you're assuming he's not happy with that hire. But I'm going to be honest. I mean, if it's a Patriots guy, which I understand Bill Belichick runs that house, but if it's a Patriots guy, at least you're bringing a winning culture over. So I was a little surprised at the pushback of why this guy wasn't the right choice. But I got to be honest, I'm not so sure that Deshaun Watson wasn't under hypnosis when he signed his contract extension. This guy seems like he wants out of Houston. I saw a video yesterday of J.J. Watt and Watson walking off the field after their loss of Week 17 and basically kept them out of the playoffs. And J.J. Watt apologized to him. He said, I'm sorry, man, we just wasted a year of your talent by not going to the postseason. The more I thought about that, I'm like, okay, he's just being nice. But it's true. I mean, you just wasted a year of Deshaun Watson, and he just signed this, what, five-year extension, three-year extension to stay in Houston? He could have gone somewhere that had a better roster in place and turned them into a Super Bowl contender immediately. So, no, I'm not sure he's there in three years. I'm not so sure that if they miss the postseason again and this offseason doesn't go the way that they want and they get the wrong head coach, he demands a trade out this upcoming season. I'm going to be really interested to see what he decides to do, how he makes his voice uh, heard inside of that locker room. You mentioned at least they're going with the Patriots and a guy that came from a winning culture. Yeah. How's that worked out for Josh McDaniels with the Broncos it's or Jim Schwartz great. with the Lions? Great. Bill O'Brien with the Texans. Matt great. Patricia with the Lions. Great. It's not like these guys have this, like, glow about them. They're basking in this glory of the Patriot way as they go elsewhere. Those were coaches, though. Like, isn't it different for a front office guy? Well, Bill O'Brien was a GM as well. <laughs> well. Bob Quinn is the former GM down in in Detroit. He just got to light outside of signing uh, Tom Brady with Tampa. Hasn't done a tremendous okay. job there. Scott Pioli was a nightmare in Kansas City. Okay. So, so we're in good shape then. His former executives and coaches just don't seem to be guys that go on to have success elsewhere. There are exceptions to every rule, of course. I think a guy like Brian Flores down in Miami is tremendous. He came from the Patriots way. But I 
I hate this for Deshaun Watson, man. We need to find a way to get him out of Houston. All right, last one for you. Are we sure? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, are we sure that the Phillies aren't a landing spot for Yadier Molina? Yesterday, their general manager, Dave Dombrowski, was on MLB Network Radio, Ferrario, mm -hmm. and he said that one of the biggest needs for the Phillies moving forward is to go out there and get a catcher. JT Ramuto is the guy that makes the most sense for them. However, if they are not able to retain his services, are we sure that the Phillies aren't actually the landing spot for Yadier Molina? I thought this one all along. I remember saying this when it was Rivers and BK, that Phillies might be a team that people really aren't talking a lot about. Like He wants to win a championship. That's what he said before he goes. The Yankees aren't the spot for him anymore. Uh, I don't think the Padres are the spot as much as we talk about it because he's not going to be an everyday player. It comes down to the Phillies, really, and it all resides on JT Real Muto because if Real Muto signs, then, yeah, the Phillies are out of this. But if they don't, they need a guy who can play all season, manage an aging rotation that has, you know, Jake Arrieta. It does have Aaron Nola in it, who's a very good Stud. pitcher. But, I mean, they got an aging group of guys that need to be kind of maintained. And to put him in a National League division that he's very familiar with, it makes an awful lot of sense. And it sure as hell seems like the Phillies are willing to spend money. And they got a championship contending team. Do They're they? That, that would be my question to you is, like, if the goal for Yachty is winning. Yeah. If the money is similar, are the Phillies significantly better suited in that NL East than the Cardinals are in the NL Central? Of winning the division? I'm not even sure they're making the playoffs coming out of that division. As of right now. The Braves, now, Mets, Nationals, and then you look over to the West, you've got the Dodgers and the Padres. Are there enough spots? As of them? right now, they're the second best team in that NL East. Until the Mets do something... They're the best team in that NL East. And, I mean, you got to still worry about Miami, which kind of was an underdog that nobody really saw. I would really say saw. the Nationals would be the team that I would be watching but out see, for. see, I think if, if, if they get – that's why I think Yachty's important because if they get their pitching staff under wraps and get them situated, they're a better team than Washington because, I mean, if you can get Jake Arrieta back to Jake Arrieta, which I don't think that's possible because he's still old, but Aaron Nola – um, they just signed or, or they they signed somebody last season as well. What uh, was it? Um, Wheeler. Yes, Wheeler, the guy that, from the Mets that everyone wanted on the Cardinals. They got a rotation. Their bullpens at least set up to be good. And then you got guys like Bryce Harper. You have Reese Hoskins. Like you have a team. You need a catcher. So I, if Yachty goes there, I would put them as the second best team in the NL East. Which, in my opinion, you're not going to win the division. But what do we always say? You get into the postseason, and anything can happen. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Travis Kelsey went on Shannon Sharp's podcast yesterday and said something that I found very interesting, and I think it might have some applications to the St. Louis Blues. I'll explain that coming up on 101 ESPN. Five. Go inside St. Louis sports online on the all-new 101ESPN.com. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. 
the drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Playoffs? You want to talk about playoffs? The football playoffs start this weekend, and there's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate the most exciting time of the football season, DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook is giving you the chance to double your money. All it takes is for one touchdown to be scored during Saturday's football games. That's right. Once you opt in and place your bet, all you have to do is sit back and wait for a touchdown. Download the top-rated DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook app now and use promo code XOS. That's code XOS for new players to get a shot at doubling their money for a limited time only with DraftKings at Casino Queen Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Illinois only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. 1-800-426-2537. Hi, this is Lance Drury with the Lance Drury Law Firm here in St. Louis. I've been warning our clients that IRS employees are back at work since mid-July, and their collection efforts have ramped up. Well, sure enough, it looks like it's happening. So if you have unfiled tax returns, wage levies, bank levies, or tax liens, now's the time to call the Lance Drury Law Firm before the IRS calls you. Tax resolution plans are based off your current income. So if your current income is less than normal due to the COVID 19 pandemic. This is precisely the time for the Lance Drury Law Firm to help you. Your consultation is free, so don't put it off. The Lance Drury Law Firm focuses solely on tax resolution law. It's all we do. And if you have IRS problems, you have legal problems. Let us use our tax law resolution experience to guide you and work on your custom resolution plan. Call now. It's free and confidential. Call me, Lance Drury, at 314-260-6120 or go to Lance, D-R-U-R-Y, law.com. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. Stalter back with you for my guy Stewie and Stewie. I called the TV company recently. Couldn't get anybody on the line. It frustrated me. Bad customer service. You know, we want to go back to old-fashioned American way of doing business. That means you get somebody on the phone when you need them. After 5 o'clock, they give you the best service with the least amount of headache, best terms, and the proper advice. That's why you need to call me anytime that you want when it's convenient for you. 314-324-4440. That's his personal cell phone. It's Stewie, or you can Google the bagel loan. And MLS number 226 WXOS and WXOS HD1, East St. Louis, 101 ESPN, powered by Get Covered Illinois. Now that you have a new ACA Marketplace health plan, plan to use it. Visit GetCoveredIllinois.gov to find tips to know what services are available and how to use your coverage, including free preventive care services. More info, GetCoveredIllinois.gov. The best sports coverage in St. Louis is on 101 ESPN. It's your home of St. Louis Blues hockey, the MLB, NBA, NFL, NCAA, and all their championship moments. Delivering sports when you want to hear it. 101 ESPN Sports Talk for St. Louis. 101 ESPN Sports Center. I'm Luke Levenger with the Shane Company Sports Center Update. In a stunning upset, the USA are now your world junior champions with a 2-0 victory over Canada last night. Shutout by Spencer Knight and goals by Alex Turcott and Trevor Zegras. In addition, surprising absolutely nobody, Trevor Lawrence has declared for the NFL draft today. 
This Sports Center update was brought to you by your friend in the jewelry business, Shane Company, and Shaneco.com. We're back to BK and Ferrario, live from the ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center for Blues Training Camp on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, Tyson Nash, former NHL forward, current Arizona Coyotes TV analyst, going to join us to preview the Coyotes this season as we continue going around the Pacific Division. All right, so yesterday, Ferrario, I was listening to a podcast. It was Shannon Sharp's podcast, Club Shay Shay. And he was talking to Travis Kelsey, the Chiefs tight end about what this season was like for Kansas City, right? Coming off of the Super Bowl championship, you got to go through the regular season. Everybody's picking them to be the next year's Super Bowl champions as well. How, how were you able to maintain that high level of play throughout the season? They've been accused of kind of getting bored yeah. throughout the year, right? Here's what Travis Kelsey had to say about that. I think that it also could potentially apply to the Blues. I'll explain that here in a sec. We're going to make the playoffs. Mentally, you see, you say that to yourself. We're going to make the playoffs. We have a great group. We got Patrick Mahomes, the best player in the National Football League, leading it. We're going to we're going to make the playoffs. Mentally, being able to lock in every single week so that dream that 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 situation happens. That's been the hardest thing because you want it to fast forward, man. You you want you want all the all these games to to take care of themselves. You 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 handle business in the division. You handle business to to get the number one seed. But you really want to get back to this point right here. I think that's the hard part about repeating. It's why you rarely see it, right? When In the NBA, you see it from year to year, yeah. right? They, they, teams that are at the top can stay at the top. But it seems like there's like a four- or five-year stretch where teams can do that. It happened to the Warriors. We saw it with Miami when LeBron went down there. It happened again in Cleveland with LeBron. It's like a four- or five-year life cycle for NBA teams. The NFL, you almost never see right. repeats. Major League Baseball, very rare do you see teams repeat. I think this is one thing that we have to consider that we don't talk about a lot, and it's why I loved what the Blues did this offseason. When you try to run it back, which is what the Chiefs did this year, they didn't add very much at all from the outside. They basically retained their current players and said, we're going to run this thing back with the same guys that we had last year. That same appetite for the regular season, the grind of getting through that full 16-game schedule, it can be grating. It can be difficult. It can be exhausting. Same thing was true, I think, in some ways for the Blues last year. You reached the mountaintop, right? You finally were able to hoist that Stanley Cup overhead. And then you get into the next season, and really, we talked about it all year. It was mostly the same team outside of, like, Justin Falk. He right. was the outside piece that they were able to add in. This year, it's not the same. They're coming off of, instead of a Stanley Cup appearance, something that left a sour taste in their mouth. They have new guys that are going to be added into the mix, like Kyle Clifford and Tory Krug, now Mike Hoffman, new personalities, guys that have not, with the Blues, reached that mountaintop before, but are clamoring to finally get to that place either again or for the first time for some of them, like Mike Hoffman. He hasn't... He hasn't been in this situation before. It's a totally foreign environment for him. He said yesterday with the fast lane, this is the best team I've ever been on before, and I'm excited about it. That is what gets me so excited as a Blues fan to be able to watch this upcoming season. I think there's going to be a little bit more of an emphasis placed on the regular season than what we saw at times a year ago when 
And it's just so difficult to get back up and excited about going through that grind again after you just had it a little bit ago. And you're, you're, you're spot on with it, BK, because last season before the pandemic hit, look, the Blues were the best team in the Western Conference, right? They finished number one going into that pandemic break, but that, it wasn't an easy season, right? Like you saw losing streaks. A lot of those had to be overtime wins. And the players talked about how it's a short off season, and then you jump right back into the grind of things. That's not an easy thing to do. So, like, the, the length of the season, it's different in the NHL because 17 weeks in the NFL, you know, it, it's, it's not as crammed together as it is for an NHL season, especially when it's an 82-game schedule, right? Like, they say it all the time. It's cliche. You can't win the Stanley Cup in October, but you mm-hmm. can lose the Stanley Cup in October because you got to make the playoffs, and only eight teams from each conference make it. That's why this season, I think there's such a strong emphasis put on the regular season now because it's 56 games. And I figure two points per game, quick math here, that's what, uh, 112 points? That, that That's total. So, I mean, you're looking at 85 points probably get you into the postseason because each division has four teams that get in the top four. You got to put a stronger emphasis on the regular season. And then as that gains momentum into the regular or the playoffs, that's where you start to perform, right? Like last year or two years ago when they won the Cup, they were terrible up until January, worse than the NHL like we talk about. January had that 11-game win streak that carried over into February, and the next thing you know, the momentum's built up. So what you're hearing from players, O'Reilly has said it, Thomas has said it, Shen has said it, Pareko has said it. We got we to gotta focus on the regular season and be ready for this grind to get to the postseason. To me, that shows me that's a group of guys that hates the fact they got kicked out of the postseason last year, has had a normal offseason or somewhat normal offseason. As as normal as you can given the times. So you're not having to just jump back into the fire after you just won the cup. Now you have the hunger to go back to it, and I think that's why – you're hearing all of these comments hungry from these players for it. I think part of this, and it it relates back to the Chiefs and the Blues, is about being able to flip that switch, right? The Blues flipped the switch in January in that year when they were able to make it to the Cup, right? They they add in Jordan Bennington to the mix. You have a new head coach in Craig Berube. You flip the switch. You go from the worst to the best in the NHL. You're into the postseason. And even in individual games or series, you were able to flip the switch. You're down, and then suddenly they're up. And it, it was like a different team showed up all of a sudden, right? That happened in January till the end of the year. But even if you go more individually inside of games or series, they did that at times. Same thing was true last year in the playoffs for the Chiefs. They got down by double digits in every single playoff game, and they were able to, in that game, flip the switch. So they felt like they could do it again in this regular season. And I wonder if the Blues, after they had that stop, they thought to themselves whether it was consciously or subconsciously, we can do this again. We can flip the switch. We've done it before, and yeah, it looked sloppy in that return to play, a little round robin, but we're fine. We've done this before. We, we got to January. We were the worst team in the NHL, and then we ended up winning the cup because we flipped the switch, and it just never came. We it never the, happened. We heard the players say that. I specifically remember sitting in Zoom sessions with O'Reilly and Petrangelo and Pareko when the bubble started after those round robin losses because you lost three in a row, and you're wondering, boy, is this team going to be ready for this? And they all said that. We know how to flip the switch. We know how to play in the postseason. And unfortunately, they never could get that momentum going against Vancouver. That's why it's you can't just flip a switch once the playoffs begin, right? Like if you're playing poorly all the way up to postseason and you squeak by, you got to find a way to turn it on in the postseason. 
that's why you turn it on at the beginning of the season and carry that over. It's easier to keep that momentum flowing. If you go back and look at the last team in the NHL that went back-to-back, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was awesome in 15 when they won the Cup, and then in 16 in the regular season, they were good. Weren't the same team, but by about February, March, April, the end of the season, they flipped that switch to start getting postseason ready, and that's when things turned around. And I think that's why I love what they were able to do this offseason so much. It's one of the main reasons is because guys like Tory Krug and Hoffman and Clifford, I think they are going to bring a new, fresh perspective to that locker room that I think is going to be helpful for them. I think it's going to be less about flipping the switch and more about starting from the beginning and being ready to go right away which was not the case whenever they got back from the return to play last year. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up tonight at 6 o'clock, you'll hear This Week in Hockey with Alex Ferrario and Joey Vitale at 7. The Blues scrimmage, you'll hear it live right here on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, Joey Vitale, Chris Kerber, all going to be on that coming up at 7 o'clock. A lot of Blues coverage. We are live at the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center as Blues officially open up this week their training camp. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer coming up on 101 ESPN. It's an NFL wild card weekend on ESPN with a historic triple header this Sunday. Team one, Ravens and Titans. Team two, Bears and Saints. Team three, Browns and Steelers. Coverage gets underway Sunday morning at 1130. 101 ESPN. Woods Basement Systems does all things basementy. Go to woodsbasementsystems.com. Does learning a language feel like this? No habla espanol. Hablo. It's hablo? Yes. It's hablo. <laughs> when you learn a language, you want to actually use it. Babbel is designed with that goal in mind. Since my husband is from Guatemala, I'll apply what I've learned in Babbel to our real-life situations. The app is so easy to use, and it's so practical. It helps you learn things that you will actually need. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at babbel.com. That's babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Whether you're a chance starter, Let's go a towel waver, a chest painter, or a glass thumper, no matter how you fan, now you can fan even harder with Blues Checking from Scott Credit Union. Earn interest with no fees and no minimum balance. With Blues Checking, you're always on a power play. So fan harder with Blues Checking from Scott Credit Union. Join us at scu.org. Long ago, you wouldn't think of galloping on a horse while doing calligraphy. And you wouldn't have attempted to ride your bike while typing a letter. Yet you think you can safely operate a multi-ton vehicle while texting? Behind the wheel is no place to multitask. If you want to BRB, drive now and text later. Lives depend on it. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Project Yellow Light noise, and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. 
Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. We depend on our drinking water supply daily, but where does that water come from? Your water provider encourages you to get to know your local water source so together we can protect and preserve it. The investments we make as a community to protect our water source now ensure we have a sustainable drinking water supply for the future. Visit drinktap.org to learn more. This message is brought to you by the American Water Works Association and your local water provider. My name is Jim. I'm a veteran and I lost both legs in Vietnam. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. I'm Julius. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Content on 101 ESPN, brought to you by Lowe's. Pros, Lowe's offers commercial cleaning supplies from top brands like Clorox, Zep, and Rubbermaid to help you stay clean and safe. Shop Lowe'sforpros.com and choose delivery or pickup in store. Lowe's, the new home for pros, U.S. only. 101 ESPN broadcasting live from the Centene Community Ice Center inside the E&B Granite Studio. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Tyson Nash, former NHL forward, current Arizona Coyotes TV analyst, is going to join us coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Ferrario, what do you have for us today, my man? Okay, so this one was a, uh, a little bit of an emotional junk drawer for oh. me last night when I saw this wow. news. I know. I, I almost teared up a little bit. And you'll, really? You'll, yeah, you'll understand why. So I don't know if you ever did this throughout the weekends, whether when you were in high school or college. But I found out last night that all of the family video stores are officially closing down. And this hit me hard, BK, because this might have started before the pandemic. This started when things started to become digital on television and you could buy movies rather than have to go to the movie theater. The family video was my weekends, right? Like that was a high school weekend for me. And I was talking with my wife about this last night, like on a Friday, when you weren't going out with friends, you'd be sitting at home and be like, okay, well, what am I going to do tonight? Well, what you did was you went to the movie store and you found that movie that you wanted. You went and bought a pizza, and then you went home and you hung out all night, right? Or you went for the video game that you were searching for. You just had the need to watch a movie. You went to family video. It hit me hard that it's like, okay, now all of these video stores are gone. You don't got Blockbuster. Yep. We haven't had Blockbuster in forever. Uh, Hollywood Videos was another one that was awesome to go to. And now family video's gone. This this hits me deep, man. This sucks. Uh, we didn't have a family video where I grew up, but we did have a blockbuster right down the street. Yeah. And you're right. Uh, seemingly every Friday night, my night began with myself, my sister, my mom. We all went over to Blockbuster. Right. And you go over, like, you, you walk into the store, and everybody remembers this. You start on the right wall, and you kind of work, work your, your way, way back around. Yep. And they would set it up. I think it was by like genre uh -huh. on the outside and then they had this one stack in the middle somewhere that would be like the current top 20 movies that yep. are being rented right 
and you would always go over there and you're like, all right, here's the it's basically what your Netflix feed is yeah. now with the top 10 current uh -huh. streaming. Um, they basically did that at Blockbuster. I miss it, man, because you'd go in, you'd grab that bucket of popcorn that's oh, yeah. like the... It's, it's got the film on the yeah, top. Yeah, it's basically the, the, the kernels built into the bucket, and you just put the bucket in the microwave. It was tremendous. Yep. It was absolutely tremendous. You'd go in there, and if you didn't want to buy a video game, like if you had the newest Grand Theft Auto, yep. you could rent it for the weekend, go home, beat it, take it back. Take it you home. don't have to spend the 70 bucks. Oh, yeah. It was tremendous. I, I know, I, and I sounded like such an old person with my wife last night. We are sitting at dinner, and when I was reading this, and I'm like, man. Kids are never going to understand the feeling of going to a movie store and wanting to watch one movie and it not being there. They're out of order. So you go to the front desk and you ask if somebody returned it. They dig through the return <laughs> pile. Nothing there. Guess what? Your entire trip to Family Video or Blockbuster was just ruined. And uh, the other thing that you always ten tended to have was somehow, some way, whether you returned it on time or not, there was going to be a late oh, yeah. charge. It was coming. We it didn't matter had, when you returned it. My family probably had like $250 worth of late fees because we'd rent movies and forget we had them until two weeks later. Absolutely. We I, always I can't tell you how many videos I bought oh, that yeah. I had no interest in actually purchasing, yep. but it was just like it was set underneath the TV stand and suddenly I owned the, the movie because <laughs> I hadn't later. taken it back a, in a year. Yeah, a month later you're like, oh, I forgot to return this and they just tell you to keep it at that point. So speaking of throwbacks, Apple is working on a throwback right now. According to the company, they are working right now on a foldable iPhone. Now, I'm pretty sure this was called, I, about a decade ago, a Razor. I don't a know razor. what the difference is going to be between this and what we used to have with, I think we called them flip phones, and yeah. you had T9 for the texting. I Time is officially a flat circle, Ferrario. <laughs> we, are, we are at the point now with all the streaming services, like Peacock's the new yeah. one, right? And they have taken the office away from us. It's no longer on Netflix. Now off. you've got to go over to Peacock, the Peacock Network, Not to be happening. able to get it. And have you seen the way that they are selling it? Yep. You're basically, you can get, if you, for free, you can watch Peacock, but you only get the first two episodes of The Office. Right. For like $4.99 a month, you can watch all of the episodes of The Office, but there's going to be some commercials thrown in there. 30-second ads you cannot skip. For $9.99, you can get everything commercial free. They're selling it based on how many episodes of The Office yeah. you want to watch. And they're trying to, like, put all this bonus footage and deleted scenes out there, and it's like, this isn't going to sway me to buy your subscription. We... I've arrived in a place where the best thing to have now is just cable. Yep. Like if we could just get all of this stuff thrown back on cable, I am spending less with cable than I would be by having Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max and Peacock Network. Yeah. There are so many streaming services now. CBS All Access. You got to have the Fox HBO Sports Max. Go account. It's insane, man. And now... It's just time is a flat circle. Apple has decided the thing that we were missing out on right now, we need to have more flip phones back and, in our And I lives. don't understand this because I hated flip phones. They were bulky in your pocket, right? Like they, For some reason, mine always broke because you flipped it too hard when you opened it up. Like, what? You know, you had the flip phones, like the razors, and you'd flip it, and like, oh, all of a sudden, one side cracks. How aggressive are you being with very, these phones? Very <laughs> aggressive with cell phones, plain and simple. But somebody asked me that on Twitter the other day because you know everyone's dealing with this fox sports midwest issue where they can't get it on youtube tv or whatever they're going with i last or about two months ago i just went back to normal cable 
because I was sick. All you know, the up price of internet with what I was doing on my cable provider with no cable, and then on top of it, five other subscriptions that we had maxed out to more money than what yeah. I would be spending on just getting the normal cable access. So it's it's frustrating as hell with all of these streaming sites that come out and again i sound like a, a get off my lawn kind of person but it goes back to the family video and the flip phone i miss the simple days six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service tax line from the 636 guys motorola motorola already made a smartphone version of the razor somebody else says that samsung apparently just came out with the flip phone as well did. i didn't know that I'm not saying that this is the first to do it. I had no idea that there was demand right. for this. And why is this a thing? Right. That's I, the biggest thing. I got no issue with it. Hey, if you want a flip phone, God bless you for it. I thought we had kind of gone the iPhone smartphone route for a reason. But, hey, if everybody wants to go back to the flip phones, I got no problem with it. God bless you, man. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're continuing to preview the Honda Western Division with Tyson Nash, former NHL forward, current Arizona Coyotes TV analyst. What's he expecting from the Coyotes this year? We're going to ask Tyson Nash. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. Want to get hooked up with free stuff and get into some of the biggest sports events and concerts? Sure you do. Keep it locked on 101 ESPN for your chance to text in and win on the Air Comfort Service Heating and Cooling Text Line. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information. Blues Hockey is back. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center for Blues Training Camp on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Thrilled to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line as we continue previewing the Blues division going into the 2021 season with Tyson Nash, former NHL forward, current Arizona Coyotes TV analyst. Tyson, always appreciate the time. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. Even, even better after that introduction. The celebrity line. I, I love it. A celebrity. I, I, I take some time to get used to that. Well, Jamie Rivers used to be on the show, Tyson, and uh, we, we called him superstar NHL defenseman for such a long time. Oh. So we like we like to pump people's tires here. Oh, you just ruined it for me. You just <laughs> ruined it for me. Here I was feeling pretty good until you said that. Oh, well, my well, God. Well, Tyson, let me make you feel a little bit better because, of course, a couple of weeks ago we found out about Alexander Steen's retirement, and I tweeted you this once we found this out because I love how hockey kind of always has a spider web back to something else, and if fans don't know this, Lee Stempniak, who, of course, was traded for Alexander Steen and Carlo Koliakovo, he was acquired from Arizona or Phoenix at the time for one Tyson Nash. So I think all of us here in St. Louis have to thank you for not only being an incredible St. Louis Blue, but also getting us Alexander Steen and Carlo Koliakovo. Well, there you go. I, I knew I knew I was good for something. <laughs> <laughs> You're good for a lot. He's Tyson Nash joining us here on 101 ESPN. All right, Tyson, we are excited here in St. Louis about the upcoming season. I would imagine fans down in Arizona are as well. Uh, let's just I'm going to ask this a little bit open ended. 
What are the expectations going into this year for the Arizona Coyotes? What What are fans believing that this team is capable of going into 2021? Well, I mean, I think, uh, like everybody, I think a little uncertainty. I don't think anyone really knows what to expect. I mean, with the schedule, um, with the team, I mean, just what's been going on in our world. And, you know, I think the last thing people have been focusing on is, uh, is what their individual teams in their cities are, are going to be like and play like. I mean, you always, always hope for the best. Um, but I, I think everything's just kind of opened up and, uh, you know, you're going to come out guns a blazing and what is it? A 56 game schedule. You're playing almost every second night. Um, it's just, it's going to be a different animal this year. So I don't think anyone can really say because no one's ever been through this. I've never been through this as a player, uh, or a broadcaster. So for these, these guys playing, um, the age of, uh, each individual team, I think is going to play a part this year. Um, you know, number one, number two goaltenders, the backup goaltender, I think is going to be counted on heavily this year, which uh, I don't think has always been the case in years, uh, years past. So it's going to be a different animal this year, but I cannot wait, um, to get going. You know, it's kind of uncharted territory for, for teams like St. Louis and Colorado and Minnesota, Tyson, because, you know, Arizona's normally are used to playing the L.A. teams and playing Vegas because they're in that Pacific division. But now when you bring St. Louis and Colorado and Minnesota over, I mean, this is, this is building up to be a very difficult, in my opinion, one of the more difficult divisions right now in this newly uh, defined uh, hockey system that we're going into for this season. Yeah, I cannot wait. I, I cannot wait, first of all, to be calling games again, to be watching hockey, uh, the smell of the rink, all, all that stuff that, that comes with it. In fact, uh, uh, I don't know if, well, I can't say it yet, but we're going to have some sort of announcement at 1 o'clock today. Um, you know, you just you want hockey back, and uh, it, it's exciting. I can't wait to see uh, the St. Louis Blues, the Vegas Golden Knights, and Colorado going at it as many times as they're going to be going at it this year. I mean, those are three of the heavyweights, if you're asking me, in the league. Um, you know, and I don't mind the Coyotes situation either. They're certainly the underdogs. They're still in kind of a rebuild period. Um, they have some some top-end talent that, you know, is in th- year three, year four of their careers that are expected to elevate this year. Um, they're paid like big-time players, so now they have to produce like big-time players. Uh, you guys have kind of seen that in uh, in St. Louis with guys like Tarasenko and some of your uh, your young players that you groomed and all of a sudden turned into superstars. We have a lot of guys like that here in Arizona with, uh, you know, the Clayton Kellers, who's the local product there in St. Louis, uh, Nick Schmaltz, uh, and then we have some guys like Oliver Ekman-Larsen and, and Phil Kessel that have underperformed that need to step up in a big, big way this year. Former NHL forward, current Arizona Coyotes TV analyst Tyson Nash is joining us here on 101 ESPN. Tyson, you guys are going to get a preview early on in this season of what this this new format's going to be like in terms of the schedule. The Coyotes start out with two against San Jose, but then right after that, it's four straight games, two in Vegas, two at home against Vegas, against the Golden Knights. This is something that we rarely see outside of basically the postseason, Tyson. As a former player, what are you expecting those situations to look like when you're playing a team, not back-to-back, but back-to-back-to-back-to-back? Well, I think the, the league has has changed quite a bit from, uh, obviously, when I played and, you know, the, the huge rivalries that we used to have, you know, the bad blood that would that would boil. But this, certainly, no matter how much the league has changed, 
uh, less fighting, less hitting, all that stuff. And I don't necessarily, you know, dislike it by any means, but it's different. But I think when you play a team uh, four times in a row in the regular season, I think that just promotes bad blood. Everything we love to see as a fan, uh, you know, I think you're going to see some great hockey this year. I'm looking forward to it. I definitely, the player that I was, I would have had a lot of sleepless nights. I can tell you that uh, because there's just no getting away with it. The stuff that I pulled, the chirps that I had, slashing guys. I mean, maybe you didn't get it the next game. Maybe you didn't even get it in the game after that. But they had four games in a row to get you back. And mark my words, uh, hockey players don't forget. And eventually, uh, you know, you get hit with, uh, with the karma stick. Yeah, Jamie tells us that what he used to do on the ice was borderline illegal in today's game. So uh, it makes a lot of sense, I guess, for how the game has shifted a little bit. Tyson, let me ask you this when it comes to competition, because Arizona, you know, when you look at this division, I think the top three teams, like you mentioned, in a lot of people's eyes, St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas. But for me, Arizona is that fourth team. And specifically, if I'm the Blues, I'm concerned about Arizona, because it seems like every time these two teams have played each other these last couple of seasons – Arizona always seems to have their number. Why is that? Well, I think let's be honest. I mean, you know, St. St. Louis is is a is a big dog. You know, defending Stanley Cup champions, all that stuff. I mean, they have some some studs. And when you see a team like Arizona come in, uh, you take them lightly. You take them for granted. It just it is what it is. Um, and the Coyotes, they work. They battle under Coach Rick Tockett. That that's their identity. And if you're not willing to at least match that. Um, a lot of teams in the league have more skill, have more talent, have more superstars. And, you know, the Coyotes just aren't built that way. They they don't have an O'Reilly. They don't have a Tarasenko. It, they, they're just they're a team that is fun to play on also because everyone is counted on. Everyone plays an important role on the team, but they rely on everybody and they have to play a perfect team game to, to win. And they, they pride themselves in outworking the opposition. So, um, I think I think that's the biggest reason why the Coyotes surprised a lot of teams. I think that one year we went into Washington, uh, we beat them. We flew, you know, practically it felt like all night. Uh, had some plane troubles, landed in St. Louis and and beat uh, beat St. Louis as well back to back. So um, you know it doesn't get any tougher than those two back to backs, and the Coyotes found a way. So hopefully that's the case this year with all the games going on. But you better bring your work boots when you play Arizona. Final question that I've got for you. We're talking with Tyson Nash, former NHL forward, now Arizona Coyotes TV analyst. I'm always curious about this, Tyson, because probably very similar to what you do down in Arizona. We we get very granular with the Blues, and we're talking about who's going to be the third-line right-winger, right? From the 10,000-foot view, from your perspective down there in Arizona, how do you view this Blues team? What, what are your expectations nationally, kind of, I guess, for what it, we're going to see here locally? Wow, I mean, you guys are treated every night to just incredible hockey. I I mean, the broadcasts, uh, the the product on the ice, the organization. And I mean, I I played there, so uh, the fans, the the best, some of the best fans in in the in pro sports. Um, You know, as a player living there, playing there, that was a real special, special uh, place for me and my family to 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 be a part of and you know a blues alumni i i i wear that on my sleeve it, it holds uh, a ton of water with me um as far as the team goes they're they're so tough to play against they're big they're heavy they're skilled and they work 
they work as hard as any team in the league because their their new captain uh, is the epitome of that. This guy brings his hard hat and his work boots every single game, and when he's your one of your best players, um, your leader, it just drags everybody else into the fight, and you have no choice but to you know to, to tag along. And then you look at the coaching staff, you know Steve Ott, you know Mike Van Ryan, Baruby. I mean, it, it doesn't get any better than than that as well. There's expectations there. Um, you guys have now won uh, recently, and uh, you know it's just uh, it's a feeling. And the St. Louis Blues, they feel like they should win every night, and there's good reason to believe they should. Tyson, we appreciate the time, my friend. We wish you and your family all the best. Stay safe, stay, stay healthy out there, enjoy the broadcast, and we're looking forward to finally being able to watch this season play out. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me, as always. Thanks, Absolutely. That is Tyson Nash, former NHL forward, Blues forward, and current Arizona Coyotes TV analyst joining us here on the show. I love getting the national perspective on the Blues. We're going to talk, we're expecting to talk to Mark Spector uh, of Sportsnet tomorrow to kind of get some more of that. Um, But when you hear from the outside looking in, it's a reminder of where we're at right now with the Blues. And it's just, it's like hitting your face with that cold water in the morning, like a wake up call where, man, it is a special moment right now to be a Blues fan because what we are watching is what we've waited for for so long. This is truly their window, and they're taking advantage it, it, it of it. It reminds you, and it's fun to talk to Tyson about this because he was a part of those teams back in the early 2000s that were the exact same view to teams in the NHL and in the West. Like those early 2000s, late 90s teams, those were teams that every time you came in to play them, People were concerned. You knew you had to bring your best game because otherwise they would run away with it. And what Tyson just explained there is what the Blues have right now. And I think sometimes we underestimate that, right? Like you you have this team and you know they're going to be good, but you underestimate the fact that this is a team that every single night they're expected to win. Five years ago, ten years ago maybe, BK, you were lucky if you went into a game hoping that they would win that night. So it's transition. Doug Armstrong has done a phenomenal job, but you're right. It's great to hear the other perspective from other teams. And we've talked to Colorado, Vegas, and Arizona, and all three have said St. Louis is heavy, they're physical, and they're not going to go down easy. Yesterday, Craig Berube was asked about the identity of the Blues, and he, he was asked what he wants to find out down the stretch here from, from the Blues in training camp. And he's like, listen, we, we need to make sure that we know the kind of team that we are. Yeah, We know exactly who we are as a team, and that's what we're going to be focusing on over the course of the next week. And you just mentioned it. it we, we know what this team is at its best. We know what their identity is. And there have been times where you look to other sports, right, like the Cardinals. I don't know what their identity is right now. I think there is a little bit of an identity crisis for them, frankly. You look around the NFL. There are even some playoff teams that you look at and you're like, what's the identity here? They're a solid team. But what it, when, when bleep hits the fan, yeah. what can they really lean on to be able to get them out of a difficult moment? The Blues have that with their game, with their style. The Cardinals don't, and that's something that has been the difference for both of those teams, why the Blues have had so much success of late and why the, the Cardinals have struggled. Speaking of the Cardinals, what kind of change would be likely if their offense does not improve in the upcoming season? Derek Gould had an answer for you on that. We'll give you ours. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. What kind of change is likely if the Cardinals 
offense does not improve. Now, we're all hoping that we see 300 bombs this year, just an offensive renaissance in St. Louis. That's wow. not necessarily what we're expecting, no. though. Oh, you're not? We're hoping. Eh, it's if not you would have talked to Ferrario yesterday, so. I probably would have told you everyone's <laughs> going to have 30 bombs and they're going to look like all I was going to tell you, you, you know, you, you had this glow about you yesterday. You, you were so excited. You saw hockey on the ice yep. for the first time in nine months, and you just you lost your mind to the point where you compared a current Blues tandem to Hull and Oates. Yep. Today, I, it, it doesn't have that same excitement from you. Um, I, I, is, it, is it already just old hat? No, I've toned it down a bit because I know I know you and Danny Mac aren't ready for that enthusiasm. Uh, but I warn you and caution you to watch out for tomorrow because I'm going to be doing a Blues game tonight. You're going to be living off of that oh. high going right into 11 o'clock tomorrow. There might not be sleep tonight at the Ferrario household when I'm I get home. I'm fully prepared for tomorrow you to come on the show and say, I think that Jordan Kyra is going to score 30 goals next year. Yeah, I'm and, fully prepared for that moment. And as Dan talked to me earlier on the crossover today, plan on Colton Pareko and Al McKenna's comps because oh. it's going to come your way. Just Al McKennis, huh? Yeah, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves okay, here, guys. Come good. on now. So, speaking of the Cardinals, if there is not improvement in the office th offense this year, then what should we expect in terms of the changes? Derek Gould answered that yesterday, and he said this. If there is an improvement this year from returning players, from young players, from imported players, then there will likely be changes in how the Cardinals approach their offense, and that will mean changes in both philosophy and and personnel, end quote. Again, that came from Derek Gould in his chat the other day on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website. That is very abstract, right? There will be changes in philosophy and personnel. What does that mean, though, to you, Ferrario? If, there, if the offense looks this year like it has the last two seasons, in terms of tangible changes that you think will take effect, what do you think that that could potentially refer to? I, I mean, you go from personnel first. I think we all can agree John Mozeliak's not going anywhere. Right. Like, we're not seeing that. Mike Schilt's not going anywhere. Um, Jeff Albert would be the first one I'd think of, but from what we were told this offseason from John Mozeliak, the philosophy is just getting started with that. So it would be hard to sell two years after you've brought him in that you're getting rid of him. So then you switch to players. And you look at the free agents, you know, you're switching a lot. You're moving a Matt Carpenter around. Um, you're probably going to move on. Well, you are going to move on from Dexter Fowler. You're, you might be moving on from a Tyler O'Neill or Harrison Bader. Like these prospects that we've been told are these young players that are going to be the core. I think at least from what Derek's talking about there are the only tangible things you can move on from. Because, again, from where we stand, I'm not going to see the president of baseball operations. You know, maybe you get rid of the general manager, but that doesn't do much, and you're not going to get rid of the hitting coach. So or personnel-wise, you would imagine you move on from the players that you can move on from and try and transition into a new core. But philosophy-wise, how do you change that if Jeff Albert is still your hitting coach? Yeah, it makes me wonder, like when he says there will be changes in philosophy, there's only thing that, one thing that could be, and it is Jeff Albert. He he. He quite literally is the philosophy it's from Jamo the Zalak top to too, the bottom. Though, because, I mean, the, you go from a guy who, who... But Mo's not going anywhere. No, he's not. But that would be the other option, and that would be the option of real philosophy change because you go from the mindset of, of holding on and grasping tightly these prospects to moving on these guys when you have the opportunity But we to. know that's not changing. I agree, because that's DeWitt's mindset. Yeah, they're, they're not moving on from John Mozeliak unless he wants to move on. We have no inclination that that is the case. Correct. So... 
I look more down the the food chain, right? Schilt's not going anywhere. We start with Mo. He's at the top. I don't think he's going anywhere. Great. Schilt's not going anywhere. He's done a good job since taking over. The next player down in the totem pole is Jeff Albert. Jeff Albert. But I don't believe that they're going to switch that after the season because they made it pretty clear they're waiting on the results from the guys that are in the system. They weren't able to have any of that last year because there was no minor league season. We'll see what happens with that this upcoming year. We don't know how, what the minors are going to look like. If it is some sort of abridged season for the minor leagues and you're not able to have a lot of these guys once again filter through the majors, I don't know how you get rid of Jeff Albert after the season, even if we do think that he's not done the greatest of jobs. Here's the secondary piece on this when it comes to the personnel side, not the philosophy, but the personnel. If you go through right now, Ferrario, and you look at position by position, where do the Cardinals have their answer? Where you're like, okay, set this and forget it. For the next three years, that guy's going to be a starter for us. I think they have that at first base, Paul Goldschmidt. I think they have that at shortstop, whether it be at shortstop in the future or elsewhere. Paul DeYoung's going to be one of those guys. I think you have that in Dexter, or excuse me, with Dylan Carlson. Yep. And Harrison Bader, in some capacity, will be a part of the future, in my opinion, for the next two to three years. I, I wrote that down, and I know people are going to hate that, but Harrison Bader is the perfect nine-hole hitter or eight-hole hitter for this team that can be superb defensively. That leaves five other positions that are up for personnel changes. Second base, third base, right field, DH, catcher, depending on what happens with Yachty. All up for grabs over the next few years. I think you have your answer at catcher in Yvonne Herrera. I don't know if they have their answer at third base. I think they want it to be Nolan Gorman, You're but hoping. we don't know for sure that that's going to be him. Yeah. I think they want Tommy Edmond to be their second baseman of the future. We don't know for sure that he's going to work out there. They don't really have an answer right now in the outfield and right field. And there is nobody right now to take over at DH. This is where I think when I read this quote from Derek Gould, those are the spots where you're looking for the upgrade. It's one of those five going into next year. You need to find some answers there. You need to start building. If they don't have a core right now, and a lot of people disagree with me that they have one, this is where they get it. It's with these positions. Somebody's got to either develop from within, or if you're going to make some personnel changes, you're going to have to start bringing some guys from the outside in because that's too many holes to go into the next season. You know, we talked a lot yesterday about, or a couple days ago, about how the Padres are kind of the model now for the Cardinals. And I go back a few years ago before they got to this point, BK, and you look at the Padres and you say, okay, how did they stack up in this mindset? How did they stack up when you went position by position of looking at where they're at in the core pieces? Fernando Tatis Jr. was it, right? Like, that was the sole piece that you knew who was in position. They went out and got Hosmer. They had a Will Myers who could be a corner spot, but you'd find somebody else. They went out and got Machado. They went out and got Tommy Pham. That was the, the transition of philosophy. When you found that one piece to build around, you transitioned that philosophy of finding different pieces. So I wonder what Derek Kould is talking about there is maybe you have to transition that philosophy to start spending more money. Because Paul DeYoung's not a Tatis Jr. Goldschmidt's no. not a Tatis Jr. Dylan Carlson might not be a Tatis Jr. I highly doubt he's, he's going not. to be that. Well, we were told he's going to be Pujols, so that's what you're going off of. But if there's some sort of he's that, Ray Langford, which is a really nice. I'm player. okay with that. I'm okay. Larry Walker, maybe. No, we're not getting back into that. <laughs> if those three players that I just mentioned are at least somewhat of Fernando Tatis Jr., if combined those guys can provide you what Tatis Jr. provides, they don't though because you got to have that in one player. Right, like you, you need you need the guy that no matter who is out there on the mound, you feel like he's a 300 hitter that can get on base with a 400 clip that has a 500 slugging. You need one of those dudes that imposes fear 
and the opponent. I think you have that to an extent in Paul Goldschmidt. He's a really good player. You need another one. But I think all three of those can impose fear, but you have to build fear around it. Like, the fear factor doesn't have to be what it used to be in the MV3 of Pujols, Roll, and Edmonds. It would be awesome if you had that. But the fear factor could be one through six, this batting order is not easy to get through. Not that they're 30-plus home run threats of what Paul Goldschmidt used to be or what a Tatis Jr. is now, but if you can stack that batting order with a Carlson Goldschmidt de Jong in the middle and find three or four more pieces to make the lineup one to eight threatening, I think that's at least a step in the right direction of transitioning sure. for the But you still philosophy. need that star. You still you need do. that star. And yeah. one of the reasons why I bring this up is because Buster Olney earlier today wrote about the top ten infielders at <laughs> each position. <laughs> I was going through because I was curious, you know, are, are there any Cardinals uh, on this list? Paul Goldschmidt was third among all first basemen in, in Major League Baseball, which makes some sense. That's a little surprising, though. Third? Uh, out of all first basemen in Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. it's a little surprising. I, It sounds about right. I'd have him top five, but yeah, okay. Paul Goldschmidt's an awesome player. Yeah. Um, I had no issues with that. Yadier Molina was ninth among all catchers. Colton Wong was the eighth best second baseman in baseball, according to this list. Going through it and kind of thinking about it a little bit more, if we remove Goldie, Yachty, Colton Wong from this equation, who do you think is the next Cardinals infielder that would be in this kind of a conversation? A top 10 player at their respective position. Like, do they have one that projects to be that guy? It's not Tommy Edmond. I mean, as much no. as you want it to be Tommy Edmond, I think right now, at least the outlook for Nolan Gorman is supposed to be top 10. But I don't know if he's ever going to get to that spot because his defense might not match to put him in that level. So, no, I think in terms of position players, Paul DeYoung could get there if it could be consistent. Like, like I mean, he, he's been talked in the gold Can glo- he? He's been talked the, of in the gold glove conversation in the past. Let me explain why I say that. And it's not a shot against Paul DeYoung. It's more a statement of where baseball is right now with shortstops. The 10th-ranked shortstop on this list was Dansby Swanson. Here's a few guys that didn't even make the top 10. Gliber Torres, Javi Baez, uh, Bo Bichette with the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't think that Paul DeYoung's all that close to being a top 10 shortstop right now. Again, not a shot against him or a statement of how good the position is. It's almost the anti-second base where I love Colton Wong, but if Colton Wong is the eighth best player at a position, it also has it says a little bit about where that position is right now. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I didn't know that Javi Baez wasn't on that list, but I mean... If Javi Baez hasn't cracked that, Paul DeYoung's got a long way to go because Javi Baez is above and beyond where Paul DeYoung is at right now. Yeah, I don't think that they have anybody that projects to be that. Yeah, and that's, right. that's kind of why I brought this up is because as much as we talk about all of the changes that could take place and why they are important, this is why. Because they don't have somebody right now that projects to be on a list like this, and they're losing guys that are on this list. Whether it be this year or next, Yachty's eventually going to move on. Colton Wong sounds like it's going to happen right now. Suddenly, you're down to one guy in your infield that even ranks at the top 10 of his own position. I'm guessing they're going to have none in the outfield. So you've got one position player that ranks in the top 10 at his respective position going into next year, potentially. That's just not good enough. They need, yeah. to, they need to be able to improve there. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I know Alex is thrilled about what's going on tonight. This Week in Hockey coming up at 6 o'clock with Alex and Joey Vitale and a scrimmage, blue scrimmage coming up at 7 right here in the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex Ferrario, Joey Vitale, and Chris Kerber all going to be on the call for that, and Chris Kerber is going to join us coming up next on 101 ESPN. 
back to more Blues Talk. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the ENB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center for Blues Training Camp on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Chris Kerber, the, the voice of the Blues, is joining us now here on the show, and he is on the call tonight for the Blues scrimmage. That's coming up at 7 o'clock. You'll be able to hear that right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. Kerbs, always appreciate the time, and i got to imagine this is an exciting time of the year for you. How's it going today? Everything's going well. Uh, just uh, looking forward to seeing how the scrimmage looks tonight. Guys will battle, but after the first couple of days of practice, I think uh, you know. I, I think that this team is—they are fired up and ready to go. I, I can't wait till next week. Curbs, I I wanted to ask you about this scrimmage tonight. What is what are you most interested in finding out about this team tonight? They have some new faces out there. Obviously, we've heard so much about the line combinations in recent days. What for you are you looking for tonight in the scrimmage? Oh, you're just looking for some cleanliness and for some uh, and, and for some some crispness to their game. I, I think the pace of the game is good. I, I don't think. You know, and, and as you've looked at some other scrimmages from around the league, you're not going to see a ton of hitting. You're not going to see a ton of banging. You're not going to. It's not going to be like you're playing a your final preseason game looking for a job against the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, but to that extent, it's just it's getting into the routine of a pace of the changing on the fly of of of, of the bench aspect of things of, of getting hard to the bench. Um, it's it's kind of a, a game unlike a controlled situation of a drill. It's the the chaos situation of a game that will help a Colton Pareko and a Tory Krug understand each other better. Uh, it's, it's the face off on a power play, you know, and, and where they want to go when you're actually defending against somebody trying to block you, that'll help out Ryan O'Reilly and, and Tory Krug, for example. Um, it's, it's getting Marco Scandella in those situations with Justin Falk. If that's the pairing you kind of see. So things along those kind of lines. And then the other thing I'm really looking forward to, is seeing guys like uh, Scott Perunovich and how he looks, you know, when it, it's an NHL body bearing down on him in the corner, albeit a scrimmage. But even in those situations, are you seeing guys with the right on-ice awareness? Are they making the right decisions with the puck? And even if it's not the cleanest play, you would say, okay, well, that's the right play. They'll get sharper, and, and before too long, that pass will be right on a guy's tape. So those are the kind of things I think you're looking for. And then finally, I think it's uh, – you know, the goaltenders have, have stood in net for all these practices and taken, and taken a lot of shots. And I think there's no doubt that working these goaltenders up to some endurance uh, speed is, is pretty important here. So I'm, I'm curious to see how they look tonight, too. All right, Curbs. Uh, so my co-host over here had a problem with something that I said yesterday. I got a little hyped up, a little excited after watching Robert Thomas and Mike Hoffman skate with each other. And yesterday I said that, boy, watching those two reminded me an awful lot of what Hall and Oates used to do. Um, and, and I got blasted for that, my buddy. So uh, you're not afraid to call me an idiot if I'm an idiot. Do you think I'm crazy? Uh, I hope you're right. <laughs> But I don't think I would have made that comparison yet. But I love your passion. Is that is that fair? 
that's 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 fair. That's basically the the Kerber kind way of saying that you're kind of an idiot with that. I understand. That, that's that that that's my polite way of saying <laughs> I think Brandon had a case. <laughs> okay, okay, I understand that. Curbs, though, I, I am curious because I heard Carriker and Smallman talking about this today, uh, talking about you know what the weakness is for this Blues team, and you know it was a little difficult for them to find something with that. And I tend to agree. It's hard to look at this team and find a weakness right now. Uh, if you were to be asked that question, what would you come up with looking at this Blues roster? Uh, a weakness standpoint, I, I I would say looking at this roster. Um, let, so for the sake of this argument, let's just assume that we're not going to deal with, with it, that, that everybody's healthy, which appears to be the case right now. Okay. Right. So, so, so for me, I think I think. Uh, aside from just making sure you're getting the goaltending you need, which I think I think whenever we talk about the game of hockey, we could always probably just make that statement and then move on from it, right? But I, I would say if there's something that I'm looking for that I think could be, be real, I, I let's say two swing pieces to early success of this season, all right? One will be how does Sanford and Cairo how do they work with Tyler Bozak if that's how it's going to look next Wednesday night in Colorado, right? So I'm I'm really curious about the next steps being taken by those those two guys in terms of can they provide the consistent energy? The speed of Cairo is critical, and and frankly some production to really enhance that third line the way a Pat Maroon and a Robert Thomas did. And if they do that, good grief, are you in some great shape? From, if, if, if that happens, even without Tarasenko in the lineup, I think you are as deep as any team in the National Hockey League. I really believe that. I, I, I mean, it, it, people can debate it, but I'm not sure you can argue the fact that uh, you may have some other teams you could say might be as deep, but nobody is deeper. On the defensive side of things, I really think I, I, I like what you're going to see. I, I have little doubt what you're going to see from Pareko and Krug. Um, I, I'm watching Vince Dunn today, the second day, as Panger put it, he's got this escapability to him, right? So I, I, if, if, if Vince Dunn is used in, in a role that really has him skating more with the puck and, and breaking out and, and, and a little less limited, I think that's a positive. But if Justin Falk returns to form and bounces back after a tough year, a, a self-proclaimed tough year even in his own right from last year, uh, my goodness, is that a huge uh, thing for the St. Louis Blues? That again bridges that gap between your top pair and your third pair, and and I think it's huge. So I, I to me, those are kind of where I'm looking at as uh, as the swing points to early season success. We're talking with Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. All right, Kerbs, I wanted to ask you. You know, last year there were. Pretty much what you expected from the Blues is what you got for in terms of their top players. Ryan O'Reilly was tremendous. Perron had a great year. Shin Schwartz, all of that. Yesterday, I was talking with Ferrario, and this is probably not going to surprise you, given what he just said about the Hall & Oates <laughs> comparison. But we were going through what would potentially be a bold prediction, and Ferrario said he thinks that Robert Thomas will finish this year with at least 45, maybe even 50 points on the season. If you were to give a bold prediction for this Blues team, Curbs, what would you go with? Is there a statistical category or a number of wins or whatever it may be? If there's any sort of bold prediction that you could give about this team, what what would it be? Okay, so bold. So so by bold, we're saying something that 
might surprise us a little bit. Yeah, right? it might surprise us. You know, like um, maybe like it's Thomas Billy and Husso Hoffman turning into Hole and Oats. <laughs> yeah, that would qualify. Um, you know what? I, I let's let's okay. All right, that's it. That's a, that's a good question here. I'm stalling because I'm thinking. Um, we do I, it all the time on here. A, a bold prediction. A bold prediction for me this year is. Colton Pareko finishes top five in Norris voting. I like it. Is, is, is that a fair one? Like, achievable? Like, and I say that because, remember, the NHL Network put out that – and NHL Network put out their top 25 defenseman, and Colton Pareko, I don't believe, was part of it, right? Yeah. Like, uh, or he wasn't uh, He wasn't top 15 or something like that, right? So, um, first off, I'd say that if anybody isn't thinking Colton Pareko isn't in your top 15 defenseman in the National Hockey League, then I'm, I'm not sure you're watching enough games and, and, and you're losing some credibility in my book. So I'm, I'm going with that route, and, uh, and I think that in this role with what's going to be expected of him, um, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and say my bold prediction is Colton Pareko finishes top five in Norris voting. That's an awesome one, Curbs. Hey, my final question for you, you know, we talk an awful lot about Jordan Cairo and the opportunity he has this season, and, of course, guys like Thomas and Hoffman. There's two guys, though, that kind of fly under the radar that at least I haven't heard a lot of people talk about right now, and it's Zach Sanford and Sammy Blay. Sammy Blay, of course, has shown what he can do. Zach Sanford's an intriguing one, Curbs, because as it sits right now, which I know it's only day three of training camp, but he's playing on that third line with Tyler Bozak and Jordan Cairo, and Zach Sanford, I, at least it seems the hope by the Blues is that he can turn into a, a top six winger for this team moving forward. Okay, so the question ends up being, I think, and I don't know that we have an answer to this yet, but it's almost the way you have seen over the last two years Sanford and Blade be used is you have to ask the question is, are those two interchangeable parts? And so I'll, I'll I back it up to say, what is the role that you're looking for? And Craig Berube wants his team to play a hard, heavy game in the offensive zone, a four checking game where you hang on to the puck. If you don't have a play, you eat it until you do have a play. And to do that, you need some size. You need strength on your skates. You need a strong stick. Um, and, and especially in that third line role, if that's where Zach Sanford right now is slated, that's where you're going to need to see it. I think Zach Sanford uh, has a little more offensive upside. Sammy Blay has proven to be able to put the puck in the net from time to time. So I think it starts with the question of which one of those two guys is going to be able to perform that style of hockey better and on top of that then add some production. And and I think it's a great question, Mark. Um, both guys need to continue to get consistent. Both guys are still young few years into their NHL career, so there's plenty of learning curve going in here. There is not a lot of look, and this is look, guys. This is the other advantage of a, of a young of a of an of a winning team in a winning window with experience. You don't have a lot of opportunities to play a guy up. For example, if Vladimir Tarasenko comes back and everybody else stays healthy, do you potentially have a Mike Hoffman on your third line? And then what does that do to a Kairou, a Sanford, or a Blay? So if you are a young guy. And if you're Robert Thomas, you have to be included in this to play in the top six. You have got to bring it every night, and you have got to perform, and you have got to produce to stay in the lineup because that's the makeup of this team. So whichever one of those guys I think gets uh, gets their game in a quicker fashion to the style Barubi needs to see consistently, they are the one that's going to be in the lineup. 
He's Chris Kerber. You'll hear him tonight on the call, if we're calling it a call, on the on the discussion surrounding the scrimmage uh, with the Blues tonight. That's going to be at 7 o'clock. You'll also hear Joey Vitale and Alex Ferrario coming up at 6 on this week in hockey. Curbs, can't wait to talk with you again next week as we officially preview the first game of the year. All the best to you and the family. We'll talk with you again soon. Okay, Brandon. Thank you, guys. We'll see you at the rink. Absolutely. That's Chris Kerber, voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. Can't wait to hear you guys on that call tonight. It's going to be spectacular. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over coming up next. We're right back to 101 ESPN broadcasting live from the Centene Community Ice Center inside the ENB Granite Studio. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley, BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are out here at the EMB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Tonight is officially the first scrimmage for the Blues. It's coming up at 7 o'clock. You'll hear that right here on the home for the Blues, 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario, Joey Vitale, and the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. Hell yeah. Coming up at 6 o'clock. It is This Week in Hockey with Ferrario and Joey Vitale. If you missed anything from our show today, check it out on the podcast page brought to you by I Promise. Time to cross things over with the Fast Lane. Boys, how you doing today? What's up, guys? How's Centene? It's going well, man. I think uh, I think this is something that Alex Ferrario needed. Like it, it, it was good for his heart. It's like you, Stalter, whenever we get into like early August and you're just kind of pining for some football and you know you need it. And even if it is some action that's coming on on a Thursday night, it, it just it holds you through for a little while. I can appreciate that, Alex. So you walked in and you just you just took it all in, basically. Well, I guess you guys have been out there the last two days now. So yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, Anthony. I walked in here yesterday and you just breathe in the the smell of the a, hockey. of an ice rink. Breathe in hockey, and it just gives you a newfound respect for life, right? It just gives you a taste a taste of excitement, and that's what I have right now, buddy. I listen. I can appreciate that, and I'm excited to hear you guys, you Kerber and Vitali on tonight, right here, Blues, home of the Blues, 101 ESPN, as you guys break down the scrimmage. Damn straight. Stoltz, what's coming up today on the fast lane, man? We can't wait to listen. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot of uh, about the Blues power play units. Jamie's got some thoughts there. We'll also talk to former Jets general manager and Dolphins front office personnel man Mike Tannenbaum, my my uh, former co-host with ESPN Radio about Trevor Lawrence and whether or not the Jaguars are the number one job now because of Trevor Lawrence being there. And, of course, some baseball as well. BT's got some thoughts on the MLB offseason being historically slow and whether or not David Peralta could be a fit after Derek Gould mentioned him in one of his chats. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'd love to get Tannenbaum's thoughts on what's going on in Houston right now, too. That's unbelievable to me. I don't understand what's going on down there. Well, they hired uh, Casario, right? Casario, yeah. Casario, thank you. But they're not even interviewing Eric Bieniemy. Like they're the one team that, at least reported from Adam Schefter, is just saying, "Nope, we're good. We don't need to talk to the one guy that everyone wants." Well, Patriots he, way 2.0. It's crazy. Easterby must not like him. 
That's the, exactly. that's, that's the bottom line. He's ru- he's running the show down there in Houston. There's no doubt about it. Houston is the new factory of sadness, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't think you could take that mantle from the Browns until you know Cleveland wins a playoff game. That's true. At least not right now. Shaky bakey. We're looking forward to listening to Stalter, Jamie Rivers, Brad Thompson coming up on the fast lane with Brad Barnes for Alex Ferrario and Luke Clevenger back in the studio for us. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrari. Podcast powered by I Promise.